This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 188, for Thursday, June 13th, 2013. Our call in number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call in number is 347-324-3541. All right, so I noticed I didn't even give my name. Of course, this is Rich, the host. Um, I always forget to get that out there, especially for those of us listening on the GFQ network. Anyway, as I said, call the number 347-324-3541. You can also listen live by heading over to gfqlive.tv or by heading over to mytakeradio.com, clicking the Listen tab where you'll be able to listen to the show live and chat with the rest of the listening audience. I will remind those of you that are listening to the show on mytakeradio.com, you can either mute the Mixler feed or you can mute the GFQ feed. That way you don't get an echo. More than likely, you can listen to the GFQ feed if that works for you. I know some people like to listen to the Mixler feed via mobile devices. So, again, you can listen via go mytakeradio.com or gfqlive.tv. Also, you can listen via our call-in number. Just don't hit option one, and you can listen via your phone as well. Okay, so we got a lot to discuss this week before we get into this week's MMA news. Uh, just some housekeeping I got to get out of the way. Uh, first up, for those of you that are getting the show via Stitcher, I uh, just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge you guys that are, uh, Javon Lewis being one of them, one of our listeners amongst the many. We're seeing a, a really, really great turnout on Mixler, as well as those of you that are getting the MTR app, which is one of the best ways to get the show, 96K Stereo, plus all the exclusives as well, are available on the MTR app. That's great to see so many of you guys are picking that up. Uh, it really uh, warms the heart, so to speak. Same thing with those of you that are checking out the site on a more consistent basis. We really appreciate it, plus all the new fans on Facebook. As always, if you have any questions, make sure to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or go on our Facebook fan page. Myself or any of the staff on there will be glad to help you guys out. So this week, a um, couple of things happened. Of course, we got the Man of Steel dropping uh most of us are watching it at midnight. Some of us are watching it Friday. I will probably be watching it on Saturday. And, of course, my review will be up that weekend. Also, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the week of uh, 24th. The week of the 24th through the 29th, we are going to have um, some different changes in programming because we'll be working the Consumer Electronics Week event. So we may do a show on Thursday, if not there might be a show Wednesday, depending on how the scheduling goes. It 
Worst case, if there's not a show that week, I'll release a, a tape show and you guys can get that on the app or via iTunes or any of the other RSS clients you guys use. So that week, keep an eye out for a programming change there. Same thing the week of the 4th of July. That falls on a Thursday. It's also my sister's birthday, so there may not be a live show on the 4th, but we may do a live show that Wednesday. So that's pretty much the course of action for the last week of June and the first week of July. The other thing I wanted to discuss is that we were supposed to be covering Wizard World that weekend as well, the last week of the month, but it turns out that they are not going to be releasing media credentials to anybody, so unfortunately we won't be able to cover the event only because we're a little shorthanded, and to be able to get somebody in there by buying a pass, is it's too short notice. But you, we will have tons of stuff for Consumer Electronics Week uh, the entire week, including uh, different videos for our YouTube channel, reviews, etc. So that's going to pretty much consume that week. This week, though, it's going to be definitely a long show where I, I guarantee we're probably going beyond uh, 2 a.m. this week because, of course, we had E3. E3 took place uh, this past Monday all the way through today with some stuff trickling out as as far as tomorrow as well. And we're going to be talking about that during our gaming segment, of course, our very own Slick will be joining us, as is Quark, who actually published a, an article on MyTakeRadio.com sharing his thoughts on the E3 press conferences. And I'd like to really get uh, his feedback in, in detail, only because there are certain things that he was extremely vocal about, as there are things that um, Slick was, you know, very, very passionate about as well, especially on our Facebook fan page, plus, of course, my thoughts we're going to talk a little bit about this past weekend's UFC event, which was surprisingly good. And, of course, we're going to have Raw. We got some what-the-fuck movie news for this week and all the usual stuff. Um, no monologue for this week. Things were actually pretty good this week. Things were quiet. So we're just going to get right into it because we got a lot to discuss. So let's get the ball rolling with some MMA. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all your favorite MMA gear at MMAWarehouse.com. Look for their banner on MyTakeRadio.com. Click that. Helps us out. Plus, you can get some of your favorite fighter shirts as well as rash guards, gloves, and any other gear if you are training to be an MMA fighter. Again, that site is MMAWarehouse.com. Look for their banner on MyTakeRadio.com. So, this past weekend, we had the UFC on Fuel TV event which was pretty much a submission fest. There were more subs given out there than at a Subway restaurant on a fucking Wednesday. It was ridiculous how much stuff was going on and so many submissions. We actually did get some knockouts, though, and I want to, of course, pluck a couple of fights that I really enjoyed. Uh, Mizoto Hirota, he took, he took on Rodrigo Dam in a featherweight contest, which I was really looking forward to seeing Hirota fight, but, of course, my hopes were dashed when Rodrigo Dam took the fight via split decision. I will say, though, that, um, you know, it was definitely an evenly contested fight in the early going, especially that first round. Some people were saying that that was a 10-9 a round, and it was extremely close. Me, personally, I saw um, Hirota and Dam being tied in that first round, but 
I, I will say Rodrigo Dam definitely looked good as the fight went on. Rodrigo Dam takes the fight via split decision. His record now, 11-6. and six. Also on that card, another fight that really got my attention was the Von Lee-Rafael um, Asuncao fight, which, again, Von Lee's another fighter that I really like to watch. He's a- extremely exciting, and, again, hopes were dashed. I, I was not picking him right this card. Uh, Rafael Asuncao took the fight via submission in the second round with a very, very beautiful submission to take thing the transition for it was just ridiculous the other fight that had a crazy submission finish and this was mind you before the main card was um felipe arantes and godofredo pepe which was another another crazy ending um you know beautiful sweep by pepe on mount and um you know the the crazy thing was felipe arantes he actually turned the tide, got back into guard, and started dropping bombs, rights and elbows, really nasty ones especially, to close things out and get the victory via TKO at 3 minutes 32 seconds in the first round. Uh, Mike Wilkinson, Ronnie Jassan also was a, was a solid fight, ending in submission. It was a technical submission, and um, again, just, just quick finishes. Ended at a minute and 24 seconds. Eddie Mendez, Daniel Serafian was another fight with... Ended with a crazy head and arm choke that I actually think that if you'd blink, you wouldn't realize that Eddie Mendez just lost consciousness. Uh, solid performance by Daniel Serafian in that fight. Jason High, another guy who I picked to win in his fight, he lost via submission um, with a from a triangle transition into an arm bar. It was just a nasty, nasty finish. Eric Silva looked really good in that fight. He took no damage and... Um, it was crazy because Jason Hyde came out trying to trying to throw some kicks, you know, be a little flashy. Um, but it was it was crazy because Silva then went into a counter and he went for the back. At which point he tried to go for a triangle, then transitioned into the armbar. It was so fluid, so so nasty to see. And again, I was bummed to see Jason Hyde lose that fight, but the technique was amazing. Now, Faye Zhao took on Thiago Silva in a fight where. You know, these guys had bad blood going in, and um, I expected this fight to be a war. I expected it to go a couple of rounds, at least two rounds, and Feijal came out swinging, swinging some hard leather, um, looking to really secure himself the KO, and Thiago Silva, he had none of it. On the contrary, what ended up happening was Feijal got gassed, um, and he had, no, he had no energy in the tank, and when... He dropped his hands. It was just Thiago Silva putting in work. I mean, he um, he went for, um, at one point, when Feijal went for an uppercut, you can see that he was just slowing down. Thiago Silva started working those leg kicks. A real nasty combo went in. And then when that combo connected, he opened him up, and he just proceeded to, to drop serious, serious bombs on him. Feijal drops to the ground. Dan Mergliata stops the fight. Thiago Silva takes the fight in the first round via TKO. The tough Brazil finale was Leonardo Santos taking on William Pantolino. Um, uh, Leonardo Santos looked really good in that second round and secured his victory as well. Again, head and arm choke. Uh, Pantolino, he really, really tried to escape, but he had no choice but to tap. Leonardo Santos is your tough Brazil 2 champion. And I will say this, 
the Brazilian Ultimate Fighter is is a pleasure to watch. And the reason I say that is because you can watch the Ultimate Fighter here in the States and you're going to get some really good fights. But I feel that the, the fighters that go into the seasons of the Ultimate Fighter here in the States have kind of figured out the the way that the show works. And they and I, I don't want to say that they fight safe, but they know how to how to really take it to them. And, um, you know, the the thing is that they they they're hungrier. It almost makes it seem like they're they're fighting for their livelihood more so than a, than a spot on a show. Now, that's not to say that the Ultimate Fighter here in the U.S. is is soft by any means, but you can tell that going into you know the the, the double digit seasons that guys were really figuring out the angles to really really protect themselves going into the later parts of the show, the later rounds of the show, and securing their slots in the final. Uh, on Tough Brazil, though, these guys go in there ready ready to kill each other, and it definitely shows. Congrats to Leonardo Santos for being the second Ultimate Fighter out of Brazil. Hopefully, we'll see how well he does in the very, very packed welterweight division. Of course, Fabricio Verdum and Minotauro Nogueira were our main event of the evening. Uh, Fabricio Verdum secured a beautiful submission in the second round looking for an arm bar and it was it was a little confusing cuz some people were saying that it didn't go it, it, you know that Ver- Nogueira didn't tap out but it turns out that uh Fabricio Verdum won that fight via verbal submission not so much that he was tapping now the first round definitely extremely co- uh, extremely close Nogueira looked really good in there um working some some beautiful body shots against the cage pressing the action um, Verdum tried to go for a takedown, but Nogueira had excellent takedown defense in that first round. Uh, d- uh, uh, solid exchange from 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 the beginning, but second round, uh, Fabricio Verdum's jiu-jitsu game definitely severely underrated by a lot of people, and it, the guy tapped out Fedor. That's all I gotta say. Not to say that that the, the Fedor fight was was any sort of a, of a gimmick fight, or that Fedor was was a can in that fight or that Fedor took a dive. But the fact is that Noguera, um, you know, he went in there, he he went into Verdum's wheelhouse and he paid the price. Verdum actually transitioned very nicely from side control looking for a Kimura. And um, when he got finally into full side control, then he switched to the back. It was it, it was so fluid and so quick that before you knew it, the, the fight was over. Like I said, the replays looked a little sketchy because we couldn't really tell what exactly made Noguera tap out, but I actually watched the fight a second time earlier this week, and I saw where it came from. And considering that Frank Mir broke his arm the last time, I can see the the hesitation in Noguera really hanging in there and letting a guy get any sort of crazy submission. So uh, Fabricio Verdun makes a case for himself to challenge for the UFC heavyweight title. I'm interested in seeing that. Um, of course, we got Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos getting ready to lock up, and we'll talk about that later on in the segment. But overall, the um, the UFC on Fuel TV card was solid. A great card from Brazil. From Brazil, lots of submissions, um, tremendous performances by everybody involved. Thiago Silva is a beast. Um, it's funny because Bigfoot Silva was talking some shit about Thiago Silva, saying he wants to fight him, contemplating a, a drop to 205 to make that happen. That's what Thiago Silva said. Uh, Bigfoot needs to do if he wants to scrap. He needs to come down to 205. So there you have it. In terms of bonuses, $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Of course, KO of the night went to Thiago Silva. 
Submission of the night went to Eric Silva, and fight of the night went to Fei Zhao and Tiago Silva. So uh, definitely a nice haul for Tiago Silva, taking $100,000, one for KO and one for fight of the night. So, of course, this week is fight week, and with that is is always some wonderful commentary from Dana White. And um, in an interview he did recently with MMA Junkie, it's funny because he addressed a couple of things, one of them being John Fitch and the other being Rampage. Of course, Rampage recently signed with Bellator, popped up on TNA last week, and from what I heard, he is on TNA this week. I know Jay Santee is running the MTR Facebook fan page during TNA Impact, and he's sharing his thoughts on it. So if you want to get any sort of commentary about it, make sure to stop by the fan page and check that out. Now, with regards to John Fitch, Dana White was saying that when John Fitch was with us, we paid him $302,000 in discretionary bonuses. That money was, you know, an addition to the deal that he already had. He also made $130,000 on performance bonuses for his two fight of the nights. So, you know, to say that that's a hostile work environment, he said that John Fitch is is full of shit pretty much. I mean, that's a that's a nice haul, $302,000 in discretionary bonuses coupled with that extra 130. You know, the the funny thing was John Fitch he he's had a lot of bad blood with the UFC, of course, going back to the games and the likeness rights and all that craziness and the tension, it, it's it's definitely there. I mean, John Fitch now, he's a World Series of Fighting. And for me personally, I know a lot of guys, they give John Fitch a lot of shit because of his fighting style. I, I think that the cut for me as a fan was just something unexpected because John Fitch was highly ranked, definitely up there in, in terms of, of welterweights. And to see him get cut so abruptly, the, the first signs, of course, were the fact that he had that beef with the UFC and... Next thing you know, John Fitch being very vocal about some of that stuff, it, it's it's a no-brainer. It's something that obviously you could have you could have seen coming a mile away. Now, with regards to Rampage, and um, you know what Rampage is saying, he said um, he said the following. He said Rampage comes out and he says he's so happy. He's the happiest he's ever been. Why wouldn't he be happy? Rampage himself, and I'm quoting Rampage, came out and said, I don't have what it takes to compete with the best in the world anymore. That's a quote from Rampage. Now you're fighting in TNA where the outcomes are predetermined. You can start winning again. I'm sure they're paying him a shitload of money. Why would he not be happy? I'm happy for him, too. Good for him. So when asked about Jackson's complaints, he said he's full of shit. I've never came. I I was never the same after the A-team. He was never the same after the 18. He lost his love of fighting a long time ago. He wanted to be a movie star. The movie star thing didn't work out, so fighting is where he makes his money. Unfortunately, he's unhappy about that. That's not my fault. So, a couple of things with regards to the Rampage situation I just want to touch on. I I said the same thing, and I'm a huge Rampage fan. Coming back afterwards, he, he definitely wasn't the same. Uh, he re- His commentary about wanting to stand and bang and not wanting to be taken down to the ground by some of the wrestlers was a, a little asinine in my opinion. I think that Rampage has a tremendous wrestling pedigree. Couple that with his, with his excellent hand, with his excellent handwork, and not for nothing, you shouldn't be taken down by some of these guys the way you are. And in Rampage's case... I honestly think Rampage has a lot to offer the sport. The guy, when motivated, is a beast. And I just think that the that the UFC relationship soured to the point where he just he didn't feel motivated to perform at the highest level for them. That's not to say that he can't perform at that level anymore. I think he can. I just think that, like, 
like a guy who really hates his job but is looking to get fired but doesn't want to quit. That was Rampage. Rampage just went in there. He kind of phoned it in every chance he got because he was just tired of the organization. Coming into Bellator, the schedule's a little bit more forgiving. Spike TV's tossing him a shitload of money. Plus, he's got the work with TNA. Rampage has the potential to definitely be extremely successful. I don't know about the Bellator side of things, only because there's there's a couple of things about Bellator that I, I'm sure Ben, if he were here, would say don't really do Rampage any favors with regards to the caliber of fighters in the in their light heavyweight division. I'm, I'm a little mixed on that opinion, only because I think Rampage has... Um, a tremendous upside, and Bellator has some dangerous hitters at 205. I mean, it's not as deep of a division as the UFC has, but Bellator definitely has a couple of guys that are no slouches. And of course, the big money fight between Rampage and Lawal, uh, King Mo, is a given. We know that's going to happen. On the TNA side of things, you have a guy, he's a legitimate fighter. Um, he has the acting pedigree. He can go in there, mix it up with a couple of guys. I mean, his exchange with Kurt Angle made a lot of mainstream press from SportsCenter, ESPN, you name it, it was everywhere. And there is an upside there. The only thing with Rampage that concerns me is that he, he you know, he's a little older, he's coming into professional wrestling, and he's got to be motivated if he wants to make an impact. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, well, Batista came into wrestling and he made an impact and he's an older guy. Same thing with the Boogeyman. But those are guys that wanted to be there, that that was something that they had a passion for. It wasn't something that was kind of thrust upon them and then they decided, oh, I'm going to embrace it and run with it. I think in Rampage's case, he came in with the Bellator deal. They're like, hey, you know, if you want to do some TNA wrestling, you can get in on it. And he took the offer. I mean, why not? Plus, there, there's rumors that he's going to get some reality TV stuff this week, you know, on Spike TV. All of which definitely will help his chances in not only Bellator, but also in TNA. How that pans out. We shall find out. As of right now, like I said, his his appearances on TNA Impact have been meh to say the least. There, they're, you know, he comes out, he does a little a little mean mugging for the camera, a little howling, and goes about his business. The true test is going to be when he fights in Bellator, how he performs there, and how he adapts to learning professional wrestling. Because honestly, King Mo's matches in in OVW that I've seen. Uh, fishing around on YouTube have been surprisingly good. I think King Mo has transitioned well into professional wrestling, and I think he'll do well there because of his, you know, outlandish personality and his appreciation for the genre. Where King Mo goes also with regards to wrestling remains to be seen. I'm sure WWE is scouting him with much interest as a potential recruit down the road. We got some suspension news as Brian Bowles tested positive for elevated testosterone levels after his loss to George Roop at UFC 160. Nevada State Athletic Commissioner Keith Kaiser, uh, Executive Director, excuse me, Keith Kaiser, revealed that Bowles had a uh, testosterone ratio of 20 to 1. That's well over their limit of 6 to 1. Bowles had not applied for any sort of TRT exemption before the event, so as of right now, he has been temporarily suspended. In some UFC 161 news, the full card is ready to rock and roll this weekend. We got the weigh-ins tomorrow, which I'm going to try and make sure are on MyTakeRadio.com later on in the day. But everything else is a go. Rashad Evans, Dan Henderson is your main event. Stipe Miocic will be meeting Roy Nelson. 
Uh, the ladies take center stage as Alexis Davis takes on Rosie Sexton. Pat Barry will be fighting Sean Jordan in a fight that I'm very interested in seeing. And Ryan Jimmo will be taking on Igor Prokryats. On the prelim sides, uh, Roland DeLorme's taking on Edwin Figueroa. Sean Pearson's meeting Kenny Robertson. James Krause is meeting Sam Stout. And the prelim card main event is Jake Shields and Tyron Woodley, which I'm very, very pumped to see, only because there's been a decent amount of shit-talking. Uh, T. Wood is is looking to make a name for himself, and of course, Jake Shields is a staple in that division and is looking to bounce back from his previous loss. Another card that's also taking shape is UFC on Fox Sports 1.2. This this decimal number shit is going to get old very quickly. Anyway, UFC on Fox Sports 1.2 takes place August 28th. Some solid fights on that card as well. Carlos Condit, Martin Campman being one of them. Donald Cerrone, Rafael Dos Anjos as well. Kevin Gastelum is taking on Paulo Tiago. Court McGee, Robert Whitaker, and Robert McDaniel, Brad Tavares are some of the fights on that card. Also announced is Takeya Mitsugaki. He will be taking on Eric Perez. And last but not least, it's been announced officially that Darren Elkins will be taking on Hatsu Hioki, which I'm also looking forward to seeing. Anyway, that goes down August 28th. It's at the Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. And of course, as usual, the prelims will probably be on on, uh, FX, and then the main card will be on Fox Sports 1.2. Anyway, Sports Illustrated gave some Bellator news this week as Bellator Season 9 will be debuting Saturday, September 7th on Spike TV before the promotion starts their regular shows on Friday nights. The September 7th show will be a live season finale for the show Fight Master, after which Bellator will then occupy the 9-11 to slot afterwards starting September 13th. So Fight Master debuts June 19th, and the September 7th show will be the finale. Now, we all know Bellator did very well on Thursday nights uh, with Season 8, which ran through the early part of April. They averaged about 862,000 views for the 11 events on Spike TV. Afterwards, I think that the best part of that was the lead-in from... TNA Impact, which really allowed a lot of wrestling fans to transition to MMA, become acquainted with the sport, and the cross-promotion really helped both parties. Moving Bellator to Friday nights is is a gift and a curse. They'll be competing against SmackDown, which should be very interesting, and I'd love to see the ratings as the weeks go on with regards to that. For me personally, I think that the Friday night move is... It's a little sketchy because a lot of shows go into the Friday night time slot are usually the what I like to call the death knell shows because those are shows that they have a, a decent market, but a lot of people go out Friday nights. I don't think a lot of people are going to sit there and want to watch MMA on Friday nights, but you never know. Like I said, I'm going to be watching it very closely because I want to see how the numbers compare to Spike T. I mean, to Friday night SmackDown. SmackDown, in my opinion, should be live Tuesdays. That way we have Raw live Monday, SmackDown live Tuesday, then main event on Wednesday. That way, TNA, you can kind of get their own focus on Thursday. And if you want to do something else for Friday, maybe NXT or something, I wouldn't mind that. But I think SmackDown would benefit better from being a live show on Tuesdays. Again, that's just my opinion. John Jones is in the news this week as he seems ready to get back into the octagon and will be meeting Alexander Gustafson to headline UFC 165. Um, Dana White announced it at the UFC 161 open workouts. And um, honestly, I'm shocked that it's coming up so quick for John Jones, considering it feels like yesterday that he broke his toe 
in that fight with Chael Sonnen, but if the guy's ready to rock and roll, I want to see the fight with him and Gustafson. I think that it's going to be uh, a, a de- uh, an interesting fight for a couple of reasons. Obviously, Gustafson now is another long-limbed fighter. A lot of people are really high on him. They think that he can really pose a big challenge for John Jones. It, I'm a little iffy on that, but again, we'll see what happens. Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos will be meeting for a third time with with it rumored to be taking place at UFC 166. GSP is also in the news this week because his fight with Johnny Hendricks is starting to take shape with a target being November at UFC 167. So there you have it. All three titles already starting to come together with odds being that they will all be defended before 2013 comes to a close. All right, guys, that's going to actually wrap up the MMA for this week. It was actually a pretty light MMA news week this week, but we got UFC 161 this week, and I am definitely pumped for that card. Anyway, let's get into some wrestling because there is a shitload to discuss there as well. Booker, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Let's get into Raw this week. Our first match and probably one of the stupidest angles to start off Monday Night Raw was Triple H and Curtis Axel. Now, the thing with with this was it wasn't the fact that the way the match was done. I just felt that they dragged it on a little longer than I had expected. First off, Triple H came out. He was getting ready to start his match. Vince comes out, stops the match says Triple H is disqualified, Curtis Axel wins the match. Of course, Vince walks out, Triple H gets all pissed off, restarts the match. They go, they restart the match, Vince saunters back out, gives the fight to gives the match to Curtis Axel via forfeit. Again, we got it. Vince is ex- is exercising his authority. Triple H once again restarts the match as a 60-minute Iron Man match. Of course, it's not happening. Vince walks out, takes the bell, takes the mic, leaves, and Curtis Axel gets two victories for all intents and purposes on Triple H. The way I the way I figured it, the segment seemed a little forced only because you know, all we you can't restart the match because you don't have a bell and a microphone, really? Like that's it could have just as easily been Triple H coming out there and saying, I'm just going to have the match with Curtis Axel regardless of a bell and a microphone. It, it would have just worked a, a little bit better. Um, you know, I just I just didn't dig the segment. We all know that that 60 minute Iron Man match was not happening. <laughs> and and I got to agree with Quark. It's true. Anybody that thought that shit was going to happen is an idiot. It's true that we're not going to get that kind of a match, especially with what Triple H and Curtis Axel. Get the fuck out of here. Not happening. But, like I said, the segment just seemed drawn out and forced, especially because you can you can see that Justin Roberts didn't really help put the segment over because you could see that he was just like, really, this is what we're going to do. You could see it on his face, and it was not a good opener for Raw. And this is one of the things I've said before. 
if you can't open up Raw in in a hot atmosphere, people are going to tune out and they won't tune in t- until roughly the 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock hour because they know that the majority of it is going to be recaps and bullshit. And honestly, if I wasn't covering Raw for this week, I would have just DVR'd it and left it alone and not watched it till the weekend because of that. Because the opener was just weak, completely weak. Luckily, we were redeemed with a with a solid match between Kane and Dean Ambrose, which was just a tremendous match. Of course, it was going to end in DQ. Um, Kane looked really good in there with Dean Ambrose. Ambrose continues to make everybody just look tremendous in the ring. Kane is definitely not a slouch. A lot of guys that go in there and wrestle Kane, they just they just don't really know how to make their style mesh well with Kane. See, the way I view Kane is... He's a, he's a bigger wrestler, but he's also a guy that has a has such a, diver, a diverse move set. Think about it. You have a guy he goes to the top rope with ease. He can you know throw a couple of drop kicks here and there, do some stuff. Very agile, moves very quick. He's not lumbering around the ring like the Big Show or or being a near cripple like the Great Khali. On the contrary, Kane is probably one of the most serviceable larger wrestlers on the roster, and and I'd probably group Mark Henry in that category as well, only because they, especially Kane, because he's just motivated. He's a company guy. He's willing to go out there and make anybody look good. But his match with Ambrose was stellar. It would definitely was stellar to say the least. Um, the, the funny thing was they ended up setting up a raw active poll, which I saw a couple of our listeners were voting on. And the way it worked is Daniel Bryan was either going to face Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns, whoever Brian faced, the other guy would face Randy Orton. So as luck would have it, Seth Rollins uh, takes the victory via a 66% majority. Reigns, of course, goes on to fit to face Randy Orton. Now, the funny thing with that is that they're just looking for ways to put Brian in there with Rollins because everybody knows that their matches are are just tremendous. They're just tremendous matches, and and I'm glad that we got to see that match, you know, a, another time because it's probably one of the best pairings on that roster. Cork in the chat was saying that Kane's easily one of my top five guys just because he's a great sport and a hell of a wrestler considering his size. I agree 110 percent with that because it's true. The guy goes out there and he does the job for everybody. He gives he gives everybody the rub, which is which is which is a gift and a curse because. Every time Kane goes out there and makes some, one of these new guys look good, it kind of just de- it takes away from the aura that Kane has built over the years. I've always said that when The Undertaker finally retires, you can start a new streak with Kane, quote-unquote, in honor of his brother, and you'd have yourself a serviceable, a serviceable big guy who, who's not as injury-prone and is still an enigma within the business. That, that's, again, something I'd like to see. I think Kane has, has earned it. With his service to the company, the guy goes out there. He's been in some terrible, terrible gimmicks over the years. But amongst those terrible gimmicks, there's definitely been bright spots. Obviously, the unmasking was something that was met with mixed with mixed reaction when it happened. Only because, you know, it, it was just something I never thought I would see personally. And a lot of people felt the same way. But Kane... He's gotten a, a, a nice resurgence in working with Daniel Bryan and working with guys like Rollins and Reigns and Ambrose is only going to raise their stock, but also give Kane fresh opponents who can complement his style very well. 
Our fourth match of the evening was The Miz and Cody Rhodes, which was, you know, Cody looked really good in that match, and I just felt it was a little shorter than I would have liked, and um, I think there's definitely chemistry there. I think a feud between The Miz and Cody Rhodes would be good television. I think their matches would be incredibly entertaining, especially because there's there's a great dynamic there. I think both guys are, are, are on the cusp of greatness once again. I mean, don't get me wrong, The Miz has been champion already, but he's kind of been treading water during during the last couple of months. I think a program with Rhodes would be really good and would do wonders for both guys. I think Cody Rhodes, when it comes to wrestling, he's got that down to a science. In terms of just angle advancement and and mic work, he's he still leaves a little bit to be desired, but I think The Miz can take that to really take that to the next level and bring something new out of Cody Rhodes. I really would like to see a feud with them because, like I said, it has a lot of potential. Of course, we got the announcement that Mark Henry is coming back next Monday, and I want to get into some Mark Henry news later on in the wrestling segment because there's there's some craziness there regarding Mark Henry that it, it just can't be ignored. We get a little bit of some angle advancement as Jericho comes out and Ziggler comes back onto Raw and... You know, I've, everybody thought that they were going to get a nice Ziggler-Jericho match, but if you've watched wrestling long enough, you know you know Ziggler was in street clothes and you knew that the setup was going to be Biggie Langston and Chris Jericho, which, as luck would have it, that's what we got. But the good thing about this is Biggie Langston goes out there, works with a guy like Chris Jericho, who, again, for a guy like Biggie Langston, it, it does nothing but well for him for the simple fact that Langston he's getting into his own as a performer he's gone out there and had some really solid matches with Del Rio especially the last couple of weeks with Swagger's injury and of course Swagger not being able to go to Canada I think Jericho and Langston put together a solid match I know a lot of people were were giving the match um some bullshit only because they felt that the the Ziggler distraction and the and the Del Rio involvement took away from the match but Let's be honest, I think Big E himself looked um he looked good. His 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 work in the corner, the excessive shoulder blocks which are becoming a Big E staple are pretty much something that I'm sure Michael Cole is going to start calling vintage Big E Langston sooner rather than later. I think he just needs to vary his offense just a bit and part of that of course is based on the agents in the back and how they want to lay out the match. Uh, Chris Jericho, I'm sure he he's given a lot of leeway, so I'm sure he commands most of that match, and I'm sure Creative tells Biggie Langston more or less how to work the match. But you gotta allow Biggie Langston to to come into his own as a performer. I mean, his NXT work is tremendous, and you can see in NXT there's that creative freedom that allows these guys to branch out and just look better. Biggie Langston, if if they keep him too, they keep him too contained. He's not going to be as good as he should be, and people are going to end up shitting on him. Sin Cara was on Raw this week, taking on Antonio Cesaro in what was a fantastic match. No botches from Sin Cara, and there was just uh, tremendous chemistry there. Of course, the Sin Cara IC title opportunity was quietly swept under the rug, but once again, Cesaro goes out there and makes everybody look good. It was very interesting seeing Zeb Coulter out there, you know, calling Sin Cara an immigrant, kind of doing some angle advancement. And in a way, you know, you can see that he was he was definitely scouting Antonio Cesaro. I don't know if they want to put Cesaro together with Zeb Coulter. Um, and the only reason I say that is because Zeb Coulter's gone around uh, speaking 
badly about immigrants and stuff. And Antonio Cesaro is, of course, Swiss. So I don't know if they're gonna they're gonna go that route and and maybe try and, and Americanize quote unquote Antonio Cesaro. And I'm using that term only because of Zeb Coulter's work with Jack Swagger. On the bright side, Coulter is a is a glorified heat magnet, which would definitely help Cesaro in terms of just management, investing more time in him. Because honestly, the funny thing is, you know, Cesaro goes out there, has tremendous matches, and then management says that he's boring or one-dimensional. And it bothers me because I don't know what matches creative and management are watching, but every match that Cesaro has is tremendous. Every match he had in Ring of Honor was tremendous. I don't know what else they expect from this guy. What do you think, that he's going to go out there and fucking yodel? And look like a complete asshole. The guy is a throwback to the old school era. He comes out. He has his simple tights. Nothing too crazy. No no snazzy catchphrases. Just comes out there and does what people are tuning in to see. And that's deliver solid, hard-hitting wrestling. And let's let's be serious. Sin Cara, he's gone out there. And he's he's had a lot of botched matches with a lot of different guys who you thought would make him look good. And Cesaro went out there and got a solid match out of him. From start to finish, bell to bell, it just looked good. But, I don't know. I mean, if if they put Coulter with Cesaro, you're going to really need a a solid storyline to to piece that together. Because just throwing them together for the hell of it isn't going to work. But if you do a slow burn and and you do some good storytelling, I I can see Zeb Coulter being that guy that that draws some solid heat for Cesaro. We'll see how it pans out in the coming weeks for sure. Randy Orton, accompanied by Daniel Bryan, took on Roman Reigns. Of course, this was in part due to the setup from Team Bricky that Orton and Bryan will be facing the Shield for the tag team titles at Payback. But I will say that the match itself, um, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, was, was, was good. And of course, it ended in a no contest because of involvement from the Shield involvement from uh you know involvement from Seth Rollins etc but the beauty of this was that this the Orton match transitioned right into the Daniel Bryan Seth Rollins match which is fine I have no problem with the way that went match started immediately Daniel Bryan house of fire just going out there unleashing a a, a plethora of great moves we even saw a beautiful chaos theory suplex uh definitely uh tip of the hat to Doug Williams uh, it, it looked a little tight, though, because usually Chaos Theory, when Doug Williams pulls it off, there's some height in there before the German is unleashed, but shit, I'll take it. It was a a solid Chaos Theory suplex courtesy of Daniel Bryan. We had the, um, you know, we had the surfboard in there. We had Seth Rollins just being bent back and contorted every which way. It was fantastic. I will say this, the, the thing that gets me with this is that as good as these matches are between Brian and Rollins, I I really would like WWE to kind of pace that because we're seeing it way too often. And while the chemistry is amazing, you're gonna go to the well once too often. It's what it's like what was starting to happen with Daniel Bryan and CM Punk that we were getting so many so many great matches between Bryan and Punk that it almost felt like they exhausted all the great matches between them. So hopefully. If we do anything on the tag team side of things and maybe Brian and um, Randy Orton capture the titles, maybe we can we can get something a little different and the Shield can focus their attention on a new target. But 
odds are the Shield will probably retain. Maybe Daniel Bryan will turn heel, which is a rumor I've been hearing, and he'll wild out and and maybe do something on on the solo side of things. So we got the payoff to the Caitlyn segment with the secret admirer. It turns out it was Big E Langston, and part of it was because, obviously, the feud between Caitlyn and AJ. Uh, Big E Langston came out with a dashiki for all intents and purposes, and he just looked really awkward in there. Caitlyn's face, I don't know who did her makeup, but she was rocking the Tammy Faye Baker, uh, Joan Rivers look, super plastic face, and her crying just looked terrible. The angle itself looked stupid. The only thing that redeemed it was AJ's promo work and the way that went, but everything else leading up to it was complete horse shit. Seriously, I was, I was like, what the hell? R-Truth and Damian Sandow was meh, to say the least. Um, Damian Sandow broke out a new finisher, uh, aptly called the Silencer. I don't know why they didn't keep Terminus, unless they're trying to give him a couple of different finishers. Obviously, we have the, we got the Kobito Akiet, which is the elbow of disdain, and we have Terminus, which is the equivalent of the uh, the Regal Cutter that William Regal was using, and now the quote-unquote Silencer. It was okay. R-Truth, of course, serviceable as usual, going out there and, um, you know, going out there and doing the doing the job, so to speak. Of course, Sheamus comes out and, you know, delivers a, a decent promo, and you know where this is going. Sheamus, Damian Sandow opening up for, on the Payback pay-per-view, courtesy of YouTube this weekend. So, of course, to close things out, we get the, the big angle, the whole big... Oh, we're going to have all the lumberjacks out there and we're going to have the face to face. And it was, you know, typical (sighs) heavy breathing Ryback promo, which was just, just bullshit. Honestly, the Ryback heel turn has been, in my opinion, a complete waste of time. You should have left them as a face. He would have done good with that. You could have even done a face versus face feud with Cena a little bit. Anyway, the the promo work from Cena was good. He was doing the hard sell for the match. Of course, Ryback runs down there. He starts trading blows with Cena. The Lumberjacks get involved. Everybody beats the shit out of each other. They separate them. Roll credits. Raw this week, honestly, if I had to rate it out of a possible 10, I'd probably give it a 6, only because there were a couple of high spots. Obviously, uh, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, Sin Cara, and Cesaro were were solid. Even Randy Orton and Roman Reigns was 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 worth watching. And of course, Kane and Dean Ambrose uh, helped redeem what was a, a, a passable Raw, to say the least. Anyway, on the on the news side of things, which there are quite a bit of news this week, uh, Kurt Angle actually made some interesting comments on Twitter with regards to his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. He said, and I quote. I've been inducted into every amateur and pro hall of fame except WWE, and that's next. I will be the only one. It's an honor in TNA, but WWE needs to give me my props. We will see someday. Much love. Now, a, a couple of things I have, issues I have with this is, it's like, you just pretty much, for all intents and purposes, shit on TNA's putting you in the hall of fame the way you made it seem. You're like, ah, it's an honor in TNA. But... It's really not like you're saying, hey, I want to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. Like the honor for the TNA Hall of Fame is there, but it's not the same. And honestly, in my opinion, before I would have put Kurt Angle in there, like I said last week, I would have put Jeff Jarrett in there. 
Simple as that. But it is what it is. Kurt Angle in the WWE Hall of Fame is a no-brainer. It's going to happen. I'm sure once he he wraps up with TNA in a, in, in a couple of years, he might do one more WWE run, go into the Hall of Fame, and that'll be that. But until then, he's a TNA superstar, and commentary like that just really makes your, your product look amateurish. So Kurt Angle, he, he, he tends to put his foot in his mouth on Twitter, and I think this was one of those exceptions, uh, one of those instances where he did do just that. If you've been wondering where Booker T is and why he is not managing SmackDown, he is actually undergoing surgery for his elbow. He is not on the road. He's not at any live events. But he actually put out a tweet earlier today that his surgery went well. So I'm sure we'll see Booker T back on WWE television in the near future. As for Mark Henry, as many of you know, Mark Henry disappeared off of WWE television shortly after his strap match with Sheamus. Uh, partly because he had some injuries that he needed that he needed to take care of. Um, of course, he caught a lot, a lot of flack, according to the dirt sheets, because they'd invested so much time into him and his push, and he decided to take his ball and go home. So Mark Henry, usually very quiet on Twitter. Usually I see him on Peter Rosenberg's Twitter, and, and he's usually at, at a lot of hip-hop concerts. But he actually came on Twitter... Uh, this past Monday, and dropped some some serious Twitter bombs, and the frustration was definitely evident. His first tweet that he put out was, the only reason I'm breaking my silence on Twitter is to tell you I am not retiring. I have hate in my heart, and that's too dangerous. His second tweet is, it's best to be away till I feel, till I'm right. I feel I'm hurt. I'm going to hurt someone or do damage to my family by going to jail tired of holding back his third tweet was i will return when i'm healthy not because the roster is thin i am hurt he wrote that in caps don't hide on the web you got my number call me with that bullshit back to silence was the final tweet so it seems that based on this somebody's talking some shit mark henry's not having it and he wants to heal up before coming back because he doesn't want to whoop anyone's ass like I said, he's coming back this Monday, whether that's because he's healthy or because somebody actually called him and told him to come back remains to be seen. I, I kind of feel bad for Mark Henry for a couple of reasons. The guy, he's been with the company for years. I, I definitely feel he's probably one of the walking wounded, a guy who wakes up with every joint hurting because the guy's on the road, you want to say 300 days a year. And with every renewed push, he goes out there and he taxes his body a little more. And honestly, I think within the last two years, we've probably seen the best Mark Henry that there is. The guy's a, a tremendous heel. He works well in the ring and he looks believable in all his matches. Not only that, but they're booking him in the way that all monster heels should be booked. In other words, Go out there, kill people dead, and don't lose matches to Rey Mysterio cleanly because it just it just sullies your reputation. Big Show, we are looking at you. And no disrespect to Rey Mysterio, but you got to look at things for the, for the way they are. Mark Henry is a massive human being. Massive. And you can probably go out there in a legit fight, and maybe you could take it to him briefly, but for all intents and purposes... Mark Henry should be killing people dead on a consistent basis. And that's one of the things they've been doing right. Now, 
How injured is he? I honestly don't know. What kind of shit are they talking about him? I don't know, other than the fact that, like I said, people people were a little annoyed that he took time off. But I will say this. When Mark Henry's on his A game, he definitely delivers quality wrestling. Whether it's with bruisers like Sheamus or, or guys like John Cena, Mark Henry goes out there and he's another guy that does what's right for business. Now, I'm sure you guys know that the, the news broke that Fandango had a concussion that he suffered in his match with Zack Ryder. This is not an angle. Actually, it turns out to be 100% true. So right now, there is no timetable for his return. And WWE actually developed a new policy for dealing with concussions, which I'm sure is one of the reasons why Fandango is not on television. And that's the following. If a superstar or diva shows any signs of a concussion or they are diagnosed with one, they're pulled from in-ring action and must pass an impact concussion test before they can come back onto the roster. And even after passing that test, they are checked for signs, of course, of post-concussion syndrome, which, of course, is headaches, nausea, disorientation. Once they pass that test and are tested, um, once they pass that test and they're cleared of any post-concussion symptoms, they are able to return. We saw that with Dolph Ziggler. Of course, Ziggler suffered that that crazy concussion in his match with in his match with Jack Swagger. He had memory loss. He had all those terrible symptoms. I'll be honest. While it's easy to complain about superstars not being on television, concussions are very very serious. And honestly, a a large number of athletes that have suffered multiple concussions just end up suffering long term health problems down the road. So you know what? If a guy suffers a concussion and instead of coming back in two weeks, he comes back in six weeks, I, I, can, I can live. I can deal with it. The only thing I do have to say about that is that during those times, WWE should take advantage and bring up some other talent or showcase some other talent to lessen the, the blow of certain athletes not being on television. It's as simple as that. I mean, you got to look at it like this. Like, take a guy like Evan Bourne. The guy got hurt. He was on he was on television. He had a great finisher. People were digging him. If if they were smart, you'd take that opportunity and get Justin Gabriel back out there on a consistent basis because the guy's a high flyer, has a good look. He he delivers very good matches and again, people will become invested in his persona more so than having him on the sidelines. I mean, he wrestled on main event recently, but again, it's something that with with these holes in the roster, you can really do what you would do well to get some of these guys showcased on a consistent basis. Anyway, as I mentioned, payback is this Sunday. Of course, the YouTube match is going to be Sheamus and Damian Sandow. Jericho will be meeting CM Punk, who allegedly will be having new entrance music, courtesy of Rancid. The Divas title will be defended as Caitlin faces AJ. Dean Ambrose will take on Kane. Rollins and Reigns will take on Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton. The IC title will finally be defended against uh, the Miz. Wade Barrett, of course, will face the Miz. And due to Fandango's injury, Curtis Axel will be taking his place. On the world title side of things, of course, Dolph Ziggler will be defending against Alberto Del Rio. And our three stages of hell WWE title match with John Cena and Ryback. So to close out this week's wrestling segment, I got to talk about Paul Heyman dropping a pipe bomb. CM Punk isn't the only one dropping them. Paul Heyman does drop them as well. Anyway, a couple of weeks back, uh, Dixie Carter was talking about that she would love to do a TNA versus WWE event. Now, of course, 
the the wrestling fanboy in me would love to see that because I'd love to see some of TNA's talent test themselves against the WWE. But there's a couple of factors. Obviously, neither neither roster is going to want to make their wrestlers look weak. That being number one. Number two, WWE is not a company that goes out there and actively works with other companies. And when they do, it's usually on the DL. You know, see, uh, ECW is a prime example of that with the multiple ECW invasions over the years. And of course, later on with WWE acquiring ECW. But I will say, if it happened, I, I think wrestling fans would lose their minds because the, TNA has, has some solid talent. And seeing them in there against the superstars of the WWE would definitely get people buzzing. But Paul Heyman would not want to hear that shit. He dropped the following pipe bomb. I'm sure that Dixie Carter would love to do a WWE versus TNA pay-per-view. Why wouldn't she? A friend of mine who has way too much time on his hands just started a new beverage company here in the United States. He would like to do a go a global promotion with Coca-Cola. I don't I, I don't suggest that Coca-Cola would be profitable having to do a global co-promotion with Shmuley's Soda Company. In the same way, it would make no sense for WWE with a 95% global share to do an event with TNA and its 5% global market share. Once again, Paul Heyman just ethering TNA with minimal effort. And I can understand where he's coming from. Why would why would the top dog in the business want to go and give any sort of attention to the, a smaller company? I will say this. TNA has a better shot of doing that with Ring of Honor than with WWE. And between you and I, Ring of Honor and TNA doing something together would be tremendous. Number one, because Ring of Honor isn't televised in every market. Meanwhile, TNA has a big presence on Spike TV. Number two, I think that by having a working relationship, you'd get to see a lot of great Ring of Honor talent. And number three... I mean, if they can do relationships with New Japan Pro Wrestling and uh, Lucha Libre and uh, out of Mexico, you definitely should do something with Ring of Honor because a lot of the guys that are that are staples in your roster started in Ring of Honor. AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, um, Nigel McGuinness, who was at Desmond Wolf in TNA. Those are all guys that came out of Ring of Honor. Hell, even CM Punk came out of Ring of Honor, did a run with TNA, then went to WWE. I, I joke around and I say it all the time. The best developmental territory right now for wrestling is Ring of Honor. No disrespect to NXT, of course, but every guy that's coming out of Ring of Honor is, is a guy who, who changes the game, changes the business in some shape or another. And you, you look at it now, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, Seth Rollins, all those guys, Ring of Honor standouts coming into WWE and... and, and stamping them, you know, their trademark on a business where like Paul Heyman said, they have 95% of the global share. TNA would probably be better served doing something with ring of honor for Paul Heyman to come out there and drop the hammer and ether Dixie Carter. The way he did was, was insane. I think Dixie Carter will never bring that up ever again for fear that Paul Heyman would just deliver another pipe bomb. But what can you do? As a wrestling fan, we can dream of seeing that stuff. But I will say this, Ring of Honor will be doing a show with our friends at House of Glory, and that's going to be going down very soon. And, of course, once we have news on that, I will share it on air. But until then, be on the lookout for 
House of Glory's High Intensity Show, which is going to be going down June 23rd. Of course, I've shared it on our Facebook fan page. And if all goes well, we should be joined by Amazing Red on our MTR show for June 20th. As of right now, it's only penciled in. It's not 100% official. But once I get confirmation, of course, I will share it with you guys. All right, so that's going to wrap up our wrestling for this week. Like I said, things were a little right, a little light on the wrestling side of things and, of course, on the MMA side of things. But I will tell you this, gaming is a whole other story. Anyway, let's get into this week's gaming news. Uh, Quark will be joining us probably within the next 10, 15 minutes, and I'm sure Slick will be joining us as well. So let's get the ball rolling, shall we? So, of course, E3 was this week, and it was without question a week of fanboys fighting, people just hating on each other, you know, system allegiances being tested across the board. And the fact is, here's, here's, where, here's where I stand even before we get into this. As a gamer, and as somebody who, who utilizes gaming as part of their business, I feel that... Both systems have their pros and their cons, but both systems are going to revolutionize the industry as we know it, whether for the for better or for worse. Now, the only way that we're going to be able to get a clear winner in the console wars is with our wallets. There's no winner out of E3 except in terms of games that were shown and overall presence at the event, you can't dictate the success of a console based on CGI trailers and word of mouth on Twitter or other social media outlets. It all boils down to NPD numbers. And the way I see it, both Xbox One and PlayStation 4, when they're released in November, will have November and December to make their case as to which is the dominant system. Not before that will anybody be able to dictate who will win the console wars. I'm sorry, these are the facts. Not only that, but a lot of guys, a lot of people who I know that run sites and run podcasts, etc., they, they go on, 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 on their social media networks and they shit on every little aspect of every system. And it's funny because, you know... Andrew Zarian, when he was on doing What the Tech with Paul Therat, said the same thing. It's very easy to just come out and say you hate everything. And it's true. It's the easiest thing in the world. I could wake up and say, you know what? I hate broccoli. And I can walk around and say it till I'm blue in the face. And you know what? No one will give a fuck that I hate broccoli because it is an opinion. Simple as that. Nobody's going to care that X XYZ site says that you know, PlayStation 4 is better than Xbox One. Nobody's going to give a shit that your small site said that the Xbox One is going to be the clear winner versus, say, IGN or Polygon or Destructoid or any other bigger site who, who's, who has a bit more clout. Because you know what? At the end of the day, nobody gives a fuck about those big sites either. Nobody cares what they got to say because it's all speculative. It's all based on dev kits and things that are running on unfinished hardware. I know a guy that allegedly got in trouble 
and I believe Kotaku published this because he took a picture behind a booth of of a dev kit allegedly, and basically what the photo showed that it was a laptop with with a whole bunch of wires sticking out, and it was playing video allegedly on a loop. Then I heard that it was you know some people were saying that some of the dev kits were high grade laptops running the game. So honestly, this this all boils down to where you want to see yourself after November. If you're a PlayStation purist and you, and you appreciate what Sony has done for the industry and I and I will say Sony has stepped their game up over the last couple of years with the PlayStation 3. If if you guys remember in the old days when we'd talk about the PlayStation 3, we'd have quite a a decent list of negative things to say about it, but it was because these are negative things that were obvious that they could fix. They've learned their lessons since then, and they had a tremendous showing at E3. Um, a lot of people loved so many of the things that were shown, but there were definitely some smaller things that kind of went through the cracks, so to speak, that people were talking about later on. Now, on the Xbox One side of things, Xbox One took the opportunity at E3 to showcase what they should have showcased initially and that was games there was very minimal mention of home theater and cable and all these networks and stuff it was there and it was underlying but it wasn't insane and and you know what out of out of all of them nintendo surprised me the most and that's because nintendo went out there and did what they should have always been doing and that's put their first party titles front and center there was such a buzz and it was it was refreshing to see so many people that were sour on Nintendo talking about all these wonderful things that they were doing. Oh man, you know, new Smash Brothers, we got fucking Mega Man, Mario Kart, etc., etc. The only thing that kills it for me in that regard is what I've always said and that's the delay in the release of first party titles. If you space your first party titles where you get one dec- one solid first party title every 90 days, I think that, you know, you'd have a better chance of of really gaining some traction. On the contrary, Nintendo that's always been their crutch where they show you all this pretty shit, all this awesome shit and then it just gets quiet. Like think about think about all the momentum you got right now. Mario Kart, uh, Super Mario World, Smash Brothers, all these other great games and and all the fanfare and all the buzz you got. What you should be shooting for is saying, hey, you know, new Mario Kart will will be out October 15th or uh, new Mario Kart will be out just in time for the holidays or new Mario title will be out. But the problem with that is that they don't give people nothing to look forward to. So it's very easy to dismiss Nintendo off the bat in terms of what their offerings are. Like I said, I was extremely delighted to see Nintendo have the showing that they had and to genuinely see people care about what Nintendo was bringing to the table. It was it was really nice to see and it kind of softened all the the negativity that was coming out of the Xbox 1 and PlayStation 4 fanboy camp. But, you know, don't take my word for it. I'm going to bring Slick on first to get the ball rolling and I want to get his take on it before we get into some of the other stuff with regards to E3, and I'm sure Quark will be calling in shortly as well, and he will be joining us. So let me bring Slick on board. Slick, what's up, dude? What's up? 
E3, man, was was surprising on multiple fronts. First thing, first thing I gotta ask, what did you think of the Sony showing off the bat? The Sony showing, what I really liked about it was the fact that it wasn't a PS4 show. It was a Sony show, like you said. They showed pretty much an equal measure PS3 and PS4 games. And they, you know, they pushed that the Vita will have a strong presence along with the PS4. And, um, what do you call it? Just the fact that for the people who will not be online day one, they showed that there's plenty of PS3 left to go. They uh, they they really pushed the um, like the the Grand Theft Auto. They, they, they're um, how they're going to be working with Rockstar to give you know some exclusive content and the the whole PS3 bundle and everything, which I think is kind of a dangerous move so close to the launch of the PS4, but it'll be a collector's item, if anything. I I really like the, the showing that they had, mainly because they didn't focus on the PS4, but they, they gave a strong showing of the PS4. Okay. I thought that was really important considering the PS3. Okay, fair enough. Now, with regards to the titles that were shown, which title resonated with you as a day one purchase? Well, in terms of the PS4, I mean, the biggest games for me would be like um, Watch Dogs. I'm trying to think of um, like the titles are escaping me right now. Not all these games are going to be out day one, but that that new game that they they showed, which Looks like it's gonna have like eighteenth sorry, um seventeenth century people fighting werewolves. I, I don't know for sure if those are werewolves, that's what it looked like from, you know, the the figures you saw coming out of the mist. Right. That game looks pretty damn good. And um Titles are escaping me right now because I, I I had to watch the Microsoft and Nintendo shows late because I was working. Right, and I pretty much watched those today. But I really feel like the I, I would be I would say I'd be buying at least two games with the PS4 day one. I know Watch Dogs is one of them, and for some reason I can't think of any other names. Okay. In fact, I'm, I'm looking it up while I'm talking because I don't know why I can't remember this. That's cool. Let me, while, while you do that, let me bring let me bring Quark on and see get his take on the situation. Quark, what's up, brother? Hey, what's good? So, to, to, I'm gonna pose the question to you that I posed to Slick. Obviously, Sony had a tremendous press conference. What'd you think of their showing as a whole? And which title jumped out as a day one purchase for you? Um, I'll be honest. Even though I think the Sony one was the best, I felt like it was actually the most boring. Okay. Like they they didn't they didn't really show a lot of games in my opinion, like actual gameplay. Like um, we got Infamous 
for example, but I didn't see, like, a lot of gameplay for it. I saw a trailer, which was cool and all, but I wanted to see, like, more, like, here's the main character and here's what's, like, new and improved and what you can now do with the PS4 for this title, if you know what I mean. No, I understand what you're saying. And um, it just... It was it was slightly boring, but once they once they got to the very end, when they pretty much showed the price point, and when they said how you know no DRM, that's pretty much what made the entire show worth it in my opinion. And uh, for the first title that I want to get, or like one of the launch titles, uh, I think Killzone looks pretty good. I mean, it was one of the first titles that they're going to have out, so it kind of looks like their resistance Fall of Man was for the PS3. It looks like that for the PS4. Okay. What did you think? Overall, I thought... Go ahead. I'll go on. No, what I was going to say is, did you feel at any point that the initial conference that Sony did was a solid blueprint for how they were showing at E3, or did you think that E3 really brought everything full circle? Oh, I think it was um, it was, it was great. Like, compared to previous years, Sony has always been, like, lagging behind. They'd always show, like, like price models or... Just stuff that no one really cared about, stats, and they really got down to business, in my opinion. I think it was, they, they showed their console back in February, and for them t- to show it E3, it, was, it pretty much drove everything home, in my opinion. Something that the Xbox didn't do at all. How'd you feel about the uh, the trolling that they were doing uh, on the Xbox? It was it was blatant. Uh, Genesis does what Nintendo don't. It really brought me, not not back, but you know, I've seen those trailers on YouTube and stuff. And it was really like 1990s viral marketing, in my opinion, and I, I loved it. Especially the, this is how you share games, and, you know, thanks. So it's a, it already has like a 3 million views on YouTube already. It, it was pretty pretty classless, but pretty great. Well, one of the big things everybody was talking about was, you know, the, the whole DRM fiasco that, that's kind of reared its head shortly after this announcement. And that, of course, stems from you know, use games being allowed and all this other stuff, but that the DRM model that publishers were allowed to utilize would vary from publisher to publisher versus Xbox One where their their delivery of the DRM was across the board. How do you feel do you feel slighted in any way about it? Does it even matter to you at this point? Because our publishers aren't gonna look to shoot themselves in the foot anyway. Um it's it's funny how you're referring to how, like, Sony isn't going to mandate, like, tell them that they have to make it restricted, but the, the pretty much the company that's producing it can. Yep. And, I mean, it's it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's kind of like, oh, if I buy the PlayStation PS4, I'm guaranteed that not every game will be used. But with the Xbox, no matter, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. So, in my opinion, even if third parties can say that they want online only, um it's still better to get the PS4 considering they're not mandated to do it, if you know what I mean. Okay. Well, let's take let's take a, a, a for instance, uh, say a new Mass Effect comes out, and Mass uh-huh. Effect, you know, the, the company puts out Mass Effect, says, well, you know, we're going to put DRM in place where you can't, you can't buy this game used. How would you feel about the publisher utilizing something like that for a title that you're, you know, you're so deeply invested in. I almost feel as if they do that, it should be worthwhile. Like it, you should make it so that if I do buy the game new, why would I not want to trade that in? 
I'm going I'm to quote Nintendo where they pretty much said something along the lines of, if you don't want games to be used, you should make better games. And right. that's true. You don't see a lot of Nintendo games being sold for use at GameStop. So if EA is going to make a new Mass Effect, tell me why I should have to buy that new and why I shouldn't even want to trade in, say, six months down the road where I might want to play it again. Well, one of the one of the big things with that, and, and this is something we've discussed, is the nickel and diming of DLC, which, given yeah. the, the the alterations in the DRM model, not only on the on the PS4 but on the on the new Xbox One, do you think it's going to push publishers to to really make sure that they don't put out half-assed, incomplete games? Um, I honestly feel as if at this moment in time, it's too early to tell. We haven't even seen these, like, online-only games. But, like, there's really no way to see if... We pretty much need to see the uh, how many copies of a game, such as something that has to be always online, how much that sells. Because it's still selling the same amount, but they still might make shitty DLCs. Let's say the new Mass Effect is online-only. It sells doubled out of the last Mass Effect. That, you know, that, that's pretty much telling them they can make the same quality of game and DLC as they have in the past, and people are going to buy it. Okay. So let me let me let me toss the ball to Slick for a second. Slick, you're still there, right? Of course. Okay, you were very quiet. Uh, on the Xbox on the Xbox One side of things, of course, we got a we got a ton of solid games showing off. Of course, Master Chief wearing his uh, his rags, looking looking super homeless, and everybody just lost their shit when when Halo was shown off. But to be, to be honest, is showing off Halo at E3 is pretty much a given. Did you really get anything out of it other than, oh, look, Halo? Was there anything well-developed well other than the fact that, hey, look, it's a new Xbox and a new Halo? Because for me personally, and I talked to a couple of people, and they were like, really, dude? You weren't you weren't amped to see Master Chief again? And I'm like, you're always going to see oh. Master Chief. Tell me, show me something else. Not only that, but that, wasn't, that was just a CGI trailer. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Exactly. Which is a lot of what we saw from both companies, and pretty much most of what we saw from Nintendo. And um, going back to what you said earlier, one of the reasons why I couldn't really answer the question on the games is because I'm not sure which games are going to be available at launch. Because a lot of the games are not going to be available until 2014, at least. Like Quark mentioned, Infamous, which. Come on now. Everybody who's familiar with MTR knows I'm buying that game. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah. And the gameplay, which they did show on the floor, like I, I have, there's a five-minute trailer of the character attacking a, a um, like, some kind of production facility is insane. But, um... A lot of these games won't be available at launch, so I have to figure out what's going to be available at launch. I actually haven't pre-ordered it yet because I'm waiting for them to give an actual launch date for the PS4. And um, as for Microsoft, the only games that stood out to me, and I'm being honest, this is just me though, are Forza and Titanfall. Yep. Titanfall looks like that'll be their next big FPS. I don't give a damn about Halo. And huh. it looks like combined, if you combine Halo and Gears, it's not going to stand up to Titanfall. Titanfall looks basically fucking awesome. 
But the big problem I had with Microsoft Show was that they really threw out a lot of money, and you could tell it, because these third-party developers that were coming on stage were lying through their fucking teeth. <laughs> I want to take the developer for um, Dead Rising, for example. He came on and with a straight face said, this game is only possible on the Xbox One. Now, did both of you see the, 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 the Dead Rising 3 trailer? Yep. I did. Did you, Quark? Quark drop out? Let me see. If he did call back in, he, he's still there. Oh, there you go. Quark, you're still there, right? Hello? Yeah, there you go. You dropped out a little oh bit. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. This phone, dude. New phone having... Anyway, the Dead Rising game, that kind of irritated me that it was Xbox One exclusive, considering that I know the first one was exclusive to the original 360, but that was simply and due to, like, two the... two wasn't. Two wasn't, yeah. And that was simply due to the, the PS3 specs not really being uh, adequate at the time. People really didn't know how to, like, work with it. So the fact that it was it's simply a three... Uh, not 360, an Xbox One game... Leads me to believe that uh, Capcom has some pretty deep uh, Xbox has some pretty deep fucking pockets that they fill Capcom with because there is no reason I need to be an Xbox One game. Right, and that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. I I, I know Capcom yeah. publishes it. I, I couldn't remember the name of the developer, but um, the guy from the dev team came on and said this game is only possible on Xbox One. Don't fucking and lie. That's why I was. That's why I, exactly. That's why I was asking if you saw the gameplay because I'm looking at this game, and it looks nice, but first and foremost, it still looks like a game we could see on the 360 on the PS3. Yeah. The graphics don't hold a fucking candle it, to either Uncharted 3 or God of War 3, which are both what PS3 well, games. Does that and, look to you like six look like almost like Resident Evil 5 looked like the muddy brown? Oh, shit, like, that's what you're I, right. That's how I got. That's how it looked at me. It was a little bit, I guess, a little bit brighter than that. It was definitely brighter than, say, you know, Left 4 Dead or a, um, like, a Dead Island or something like that. But, actually, no, it's not brighter than Dead Island. But sure. it's just that, for them to say that game was only possible on Xbox One, where if you put the, the console side by side, the specs are almost identical. They just are using components from different companies. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. The PS3 made better looking games than Dead Rising 3. And that's what pissed me off about the Xbox One. It's like I've played better looking games three, three years ago on my PS3. Fucking God of War 3. Still, none of the games on 360 even hold a candle to that game. And Uncharted. Exactly, and if you want to talk about processing power, because there were a shitload of zombies on screen, maybe Quark can help me with this one. PS3 had a, um, a squad-based shooter that had like 48-man multiplayer. What uh, was the Mag. name of that game? Mag, there you go. So, so come on. You're going to tell me that that game's only possible on Xbox One? You're full of shit. That game's possible on the PlayStation 3. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, well, the the crazy thing the crazy thing about this that this entire cycle of events is the fact that everywhere that Microsoft turned, they couldn't catch a fucking break. It was either they were buying developers off to ensure that stuff wasn't showing up, 
Then, you know, their stuff wasn't shown off. Then I, I read something today where their reps were going into Nintendo's booths shilling Xbox One stuff. That's dirty. Yep, they can't catch a break. Any any which way they went, like E3 for them was just a, a, a clusterfuck from start to finish. I genuinely felt bad for them because I'm like, you guys went from being loved by the gaming community with the Xbox 360 to to almost getting pariah status for every little thing that you guys have done. And you know what's funny to me? Because I said it during the last, the beginning of the last console cycle. The Xbox 360, and people are going to, you know, yell at me, but the Xbox 360 was more expensive than the PS3. And people say, what the fuck are you talking about? The, the, the 360 came out at, what, 399 I believe so, yeah. Yep, it came out at 399 Then you had the ill-fated HD DVD player, which was 199 Hush, I bought one of those. And... Haven't <laughs> 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 we all? No, I did not. And you had to pay, at that time, forty nine ninety nine, which is now fifty nine ninety nine a year for Xbox Live Gold. Right. Which there you go. That's six hundred and fifty dollars, whereas the higher end PS three was six hundred. And Fuck. had no had no um monthly fee at the time for going online. So the PS three comparably was cheaper than the Xbox three sixty and now the PS four literally is cheaper than the Xbox One. Well see but you can't watch cable on it. Exactly. I can't watch cable <laughs> on my on my PS4. Like, come well, on. Hoo hoo. I'll just turn on my cable box. No, well here's here's the, here's an interesting tidbit of information. Everybody everybody's jizzing in their shorts about price. Oh, it's a hundred dollars less, it's a hundred dollars less. Guess what? The fact is, you're going to buy the system for $399. Guess what it's not? Backwards compatible. So that shiny new system you bought, that's $399 plus tax, which is going to come out to roughly, I'd say, $440. Then you're going to count a $60 game. Gee, how much is that going to be already? $500 fucking dollars. I understand that it's about you know more value for your money. So for the price that you pay for an Xbox One, you get a system and a game. But still, the numbers at this point are attractive only because they're less than the competitor. It's like what what Quark, you, what, what what Quark posted price, on... Pricing? Hold on a second. What, what Quark posted on, on his Facebook was, I don't care about a price. Why don't you lower that price of that Wii U? Yeah. And, and the funny thing yep. is that he brought that into perspective because he's, he's, you know, and he's mentioned this before, that he's recently started playing the Wii again. He got a newfound appreciation for it. And this is what I'm saying. When it comes down to it, when you want to play the shit, the numbers don't mean nothing. It's like what you said before, Slick. Hey, when the PS3 dropped, I paid $600 for it. Am I wrong? No. There you go. But, I mean, I'm not mad about paying the $600 because the people that waited for it to go down to 300 or 200 are pitching that it doesn't have backward compatibility. Yep. And I don't care about backwards compatibility to PS4 because I still have my launch PS3. That's what I'm saying. But but the, but the the crazy thing with that is exactly my point that 
while the number looks nice, it's like Sony Sony used the psychology of business on everybody and everybody fell for it. It's like you're not bringing your shiny PS4 home and throwing in, you know, Infamous 2. It's not happening. You're going to buy the system and you're going to buy a fucking game and you're going to part with $500. And if you even want the camera, which they're not including, you got to buy that separate. So it's the same. It's the same just not at all. It is, dude, because... You still got to buy a game for your Xbox One and then tax on that, and then that gets it to $100 more. Oh, absolutely, but what I'm saying is that people that are harping on price, that are making price be the end-all, be-all, are looking at it with blinders because there's more to it. That's what I mean. I mean... Here's the problem, Rich. Go ahead. And this goes back to the last console cycle. Sony knows that, unfortunately, Americans in particular, and I say this because of the last console cycle and because of where I work. Sorry, the people are stupid. Yes. They look at that sticker price and they immediately go to the cheaper one. Yep. They don't look for value. And I'm not saying that the PS4 is a lesser value than the Xbox One because I personally feel the opposite. Honestly, they both have their, their, you know, their ups and downs. But people look at that sticker price. When Christmas time hits, and the spoiled-ass kids are like, Mommy, give me a new system. Which one do you think Mommy's going to buy? The cheaper Wait. one. <laughs> so when the NPD numbers for December come out, which of those two consoles do you think are going to show as having a higher you know, sales margin unless Microsoft does, you know, the whole subsidizing the cable companies thing. Yep, they're gonna look at the. That's they're, way to go. They're gonna look. They're gonna look at the console that's the cheapest, and of course, statistically, you would think, hey, the Wii U is gonna move some units. But you know, kids are more informed nowadays. They're gonna be like, look, mom, I want the Xbox One or the PS4. The parents gonna walk into GameStop. They're gonna be like, hey, I want this or this, and the guy's gonna go. Three ninety nine, four ninety nine. The person will be like, "I'll take the three ninety nine, and that'll be that." It needs a price drop so bad. Yep. So bad does that Wii need a price drop? Because if they don't, they're fucked. If that Wii U no, dropped to like one ninety nine, not need a price drop because at three fifty, the console is still a good value. The, um, it's only fifty dollars less than a PS four. That's the thing. Yep. For less than an extra price of the game, you get a PS four. That's what I mean. Like even though the tech, the the specs. Like you get a, a, a pretty much practically another TV to have in your hands. It's only fifty dollars less. If they drop it fifty fifty dollars, seventy five, a hundred dollars, you have a much more viable system come Christmas time for people to buy. The Wii U doesn't need a price drop. The Wii U needs a firmware update. The Wii U needs to stop having long ass fucking load times. Oh, their load That's times all are the Wii U shit. Needs right now, it does not need a price drop. Well, I will say I will say this, and and this I I gotta I gotta give Quark his merit with regards to that. The Wii U right now is 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 what two ninety nine th- uh, three forty nine. Sorry, it's three forty nine. Yeah, I figure if they if they wanted to do it right, maybe you, you could drop it to two ninety nine. It's fifty bucks, and I think by this point, the price of of hardware in terms of building those the 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 tablets has to have dropped. Where they can kind of squeeze yeah. out a minimum of fifty bucks, 
And not for nothing, you know retailers are going to find a way to bundle a whole bunch of shit with that system anyway. You got to give people something where they can they can feel like they're getting ahead of the retailer. And dropping it 50 bucks, while it's not a lot, people are going to be like, oh, well, it's, it's a cheaper system. Yep. I'm going to maintain that it doesn't need a price drop. The one thing they could do is release a bundle for $400 that has two controllers. Okay. Ah. That would you know what? That that'd be ju- that'd be good too or go back to the old model of the system and a fucking Mario game. There you go. <laughs> well, we know Perfect. that's going to ha- that's a, that's going to happen. That's that's a given. And on the Nintendo conference, well, Nintendo Direct, I I was very surprised because I wasn't expecting anything and Nintendo's not sitting on their hands. No, the hell they're not. But the speaking of Nintendo, and this is the next thing I wanted to get into. Let's let's talk about their their announcement. And I wanna I wanna give the floor to Quark first because Smash Brothers and Mega Man. I know you got a lot to say. Uh, let's hear it. Oh, uh, um, I'm more excited for Wii Fit Trainer. That's just me. No, I'm <laughs> but um, with that game, uh, people clearly hyped about it. But I think it got to come out in early. 2014, not holiday, because if that comes out in early 2014, you will have people buy the Wii U despite the price. Shit, I will buy a Wii U this Christmas if Smash Bros. comes out by, let's say, April of next year, because it's a system seller. That's flat out. It is. It, people will buy your console because there's a new Smash Bros. right around the corner. So many people I know in college, you know, we're, we'll, we'll just talk about the Wii U and how it sucks, and then we'll just talk about Smash Bros., and then they instantly be like, yeah, I'll buy one then. And I know people saying they'll buy one is different, but it's a fact. People will buy the system for that game, especially with goddamn Mega Man in it. True. Slick? I want to ask a question. Go ahead. Because after you did the article about Injustice, because, you know, there's no way that Mega Man is going to be the only add-in, and I, I really hope not. Nope. Name some characters that you'd like to see in Smash Brothers. Doesn't have to be Nintendo characters. I would like to see uh, a little Scorpion. bit. I'd like to see Sonic, uh, Doctor Robotnik. Oh, shut up. You said Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. Scorpion. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, Sonic. Do- everything. I'd like them to utilize their relationship with Sega more. I'd like to see you know like Shadow or Knuckles in there. I think those guys would be would be interesting. I also figure that. Maybe just just dip into the, the 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 Sega relationship a little further. Maybe grab I don't know. Maybe Axel from Streets of Rage, throw him in there. That would generate Our a buzz. Kid. Or 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 the or the cop from ESWAT. You know, because things like that, it's like nostalgic, and you can have a lot of fun with that. I'm not saying cram all those characters in there, but people be like, oh, that's that's kind of crazy. You or, know who needs to be in the Wii U versions of Smash Brothers? Who's that? Travis motherfucking Touchdown. I, I, oh. I, I could live with that. I wish. That, that would be greatness. Or or to take Beautiful a page Joe. out of to take a page out of Quark's book, Beautiful Joe would work perfectly in Smash Brothers. Mr. Joseph. He would. He'd be a shoo in Smash Brothers. 
It's like don't go crazy, yeah, but but definitely utilize staple characters that we know and staple characters from from older franchises. Like not for nothing, automatically you know you throw Pikachu in there, but have a little fun with it. Throw in you know give besides Pikachu, take three Pokemon, throw Pikachu, Charmander, and Bulbasaur as individual characters you can use. Like obviously well, we know that already, already, but okay. No, but but they. What I'm saying is make that a precedent. Because it's like, yeah, making throwing Pikachu in there and making him front and center is great, but your stable three are the ones that kids will gravitate towards because that's what they watched on television. I mean, they were in the last one. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah they, they were, were but playable. but they were an afterthought. They were usable in the Pokeball. Right. They were usable, not playable. Yeah, they were. Char- Char- uh, Charizard, Squirtle, and Ivysaur were all in that last game. Yeah, but they came out of Pokeballs. They were like special attacks. No, you played as them, though. They were like characters. They were like form changes, and they had moves. Seriously? Pokemon Trainer, yeah. He, you, when you click down B, you can go from Charizard to Squirtle to Ivysaur, and they, they were all playable. Holy shit. Really? I, I was just hacking my Wii last week. I swear to God. All right, I believe then. you. I'm just not remembering. Holy no, shit. I'm just saying. Now it's, I gotta. It's very fun. Now I gotta. Now I gotta go and and dig and dig deep to see the uh, <laughs> the the roster shit because I may I may just Should hack a week for that. Should they do that shit more often? Absolutely. Should they have more of like that that like three in one character thing? Totally. I you yeah I could dig that. I do remember they had they they put red in there the trainer. Yeah. How'd you guys feel about the Mario Kart demo? I think it was pretty cool. Yeah. I think... they would bring that out and put that out with, you know, a bundle with the system, that would move units. I think think Mario Kart is such such an institution of of Nintendo that even if they came and they put it as, as a bundle with a steering wheel like they did before people would jump on it immediately because it's a game that stands the test of time and just brings people together. Remember when, when they put out that lame steering wheel shell? Oh, my God. Which I still have. It's horrible. <laughs> Poor, useless shell. What they shell. need to do is when Mario Kart comes out, they'll make a, a what's the name, a Wii U bundle, make a cherry red uh, Wii U with a number one on it or an M on it, and give and, it with the game. And, and and your Wii U, just like in Mario Kart, uh, has anti-gravity, so you can have your Wii U float <laughs> on the ceiling. I'm okay with that. Uh, the, the Wii U's not floating, because as small as it is, <laughs> that thing's almost as heavy as the PS3. You know what, you know what I'd if like to see? If you have a Wii U near you, pick that shit up. It's not light. I'd like to see, and this is, a, remember, remember the old days when they'd put out those hardcore steering wheels? I'd like to see a steering wheel where you can dock your your Wii U pad on it and it can function as like your rear view mirror. Oh, that'd be legit. You got the steering wheel, you put it on your table like the old days and then it has the dock in the front and you can use it as your rear view mirror and then it'll split and it has the map. That way you're driving on the screen but you can check your mirrors. So Nintendo's kind of good for that because like I said, with, with Lego City Undercover, when you use the the um, the tablet, 
you know, it was a scanner. Yep. Like, you could look up and literally look around, and it would move with the game would move with you. Yeah, the the steering. They probably will do something like that. The steering, the steering wheel stuff is 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 something that, if done right, Nintendo could do some serious damage. Like you put out a bundle, and you go, "Hey, you get the the Mario Kart Pro steering wheel," and you dock your tablet into it. It would be bananas. I think people would be like, "Wow, that's that's thinking outside of the box." But I mean, giving a good quality steering wheel. Something you gotta like lay on a desk or something. Yeah, something, something like that, but something cool. Like, like I'm not saying go like they did with the um with that crazy mech controller that they put out for Xbox. I'm talking about you know, uh, you know which one I'm talking about, right? The God. really huge tabletop one. Yeah, yeah it was like 150 dollars. Yeah, I'm saying like a steering wheel that should run maybe 60 dollars on its own, 70 dollars, nothing too crazy, and then you just dock your tablet in there. Maybe if you wanted to get crazy, you could use a Wii, you could dock a um, a Wii wand, a Wiimote, and use that as a gear shift if you wanted to drive and stick. Wow. Now you're, now you're getting crazy. Yeah, you know, just, <laughs> just like I said, just a theory. But as much as we can sit here and break down the consoles, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I did want to talk about if, and, and let's see if Slick is... Can can share his wisdom on this. We all know about Legacy of Kane. How many have either one of you guys played one or both of the games? I have an action figure of of Raziel. That counts. That's it, huh? Whatever his name I've is. only seen people play it. I have never played it myself. Well, here's yeah. here's the crazy thing. Ever, when Blood Omen came out years ago, I played it. I was I thought it was ridiculous. Then of course Soul Reaver was on a on a whole other level. So. I wanted to talk about this last week, and what it was is that somebody saw in the Steam database that there was a game titled Nosgoth, which of course is one of the you know the 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 land from the Legacy of Kane series. Turns out that there actually is a development in place for Nosgoth, and it's not going to be a traditional Legacy of Kane game, but it's going to be something utilizing that that franchise and that universe. Now, the reason I brought it up is because. With these systems going out and releasing IPs that are brand new, and and to drop this IP under the radar the way it is, do you guys think that digging into the crates for some of these older IPs would help set these systems apart? Like, let's look at at um the 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 PlayStation Four is a great example. How, would would you guys would you guys be pumped for a for a brand new Crash Bandicoot platform style game? From Naughty Dog, sure. What was that, Slick? Very quick. Very quick. Oh, uh, for Naughty Dog, yeah, absolutely. From anyone else, hell no. Right. From Activision, do it, and no, no, absolutely from, not. From Na- from Naughty Dog, though, what, what, do you think it would it would sell consoles like as a launch title? Yeah, absolutely. That would um. You see, think about it, that PlayStation All Stars game that bombed because so many people were asking for Crash and Spyro and they didn't get it. I know for a fact people will go fucking crazy if Crash Bandicoot had a launch title. From Naughty Dog, absolutely. So, like, what about you? pretty much in bed with Nintendo. Which is which is insane because of the way Skylanders is multi-platform. Which it's fu- it's funny you bring it up because they announced Skylanders Swap Force, and that's coming out on the Wii U, the Wii, the 3DS, the PS3, and the 360, but also on the Xbox One and the PS4. And you can pre-order the packs already. 
The starter pack for Skylanders is seventy four ninety nine for the pre order pack. Fuck Skylanders. Really? You don't like Skylanders? I'm shocked, dude. I would have thought that might have been up your alley. Dude, I, I got. I played it. It's fucking boring. Quark is waiting for Infinity. <laughs> Infinity? Yo, I'm actually watching a gameplay thing. Of that. It looks. It, I will not get it, but it looks fun. It looks better than Skylanders. Well, the thing that gets me with Skylanders is, and and Slick and I have talked about this before, is how it's how much they 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 how much of their soul they'd give for it to catch on the way Pokemon has. Because think about it, you got a seventy five dollars starter pack. Then each individual figurine is going to cost you ten dollars for the core characters and fifteen for the swap force, which you know will allow you to interchange the top and the bottom halves. So you know you get two hundred and fifty combinations plus the, the, this brand new quote-unquote IP that they're going to unleash on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. It's 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 there, and I think the the, the value is there, but, like, you know, what, what Slick was saying, to, to have Spyro be so underutilized when he was one of the, pretty much the founding fathers of, of PlayStation, along with Crash Bandicoot, is, is sad, especially with the launch of a new system. That shit isn't even called Spyro Skylanders. just Skylanders now. Like, they just, they dropped him. They swapped him out for someone else. Pun intended. <laughs> well, the they other thing... Him for a giant tree monster threatening a dog. <laughs> the, the big news that, that everybody's been talking about was free-to-play. Free-to-play was the subject of a lot of discussion this week, of course, with the unveiling of Killer Instinct, which if you guys have been listening to MTR oh, for as long as, 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 as most, you know that I've said Killer Instinct was coming, and that was a no-brainer. I, um, that goes back to your last question. That's that's exactly what I was getting at. If if you would if I wanted um, any company to start digging in the crates and remaking a, a game from a older console generation, and right now, the answer is no. Only because, with the example of Killer Instinct and what I've seen of it so far, developers are lazy. It's like. Oh They're my God. dropping the ball again. That freedom yeah. dropping the ball again. They have done nothing to push that game forward. It actually oh. doesn't even look as good to me as Killer Instinct Two. Oh my God! You know it's funny. The reason that game go ahead, oh go ahead, Quark. The reason it. that game looks horrible is because okay, you have a company like Microsoft who buys Rare back uh, in like the early two thousands, doesn't do shit with them. And now, finally, when a new Killer Instinct game is revealed, they're not even working on it. Rare's working on another fucking Kinect game instead of Killer Instinct. Uh, it's some company named Deep Silver, not Deep Silver, excuse me, Double Helix is working on it, which have made such fucking classics as G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, the game. Get <laughs> <laughs> the fuck out of here. Are you insane? You're really, really going to get a company who has a genius track record. I, I, I wish I could look them up and just tell you the horrible games they've made. Because it's like, you really got these guys. You have no one else in your library. Of, of Microsoft has, as we already know, some deep-ass pockets. Fuck, they could have got Capcom to make it if we were in bed with them already with Dead Rising. So why couldn't you make any other games? They made the Battleship game, and they're making Killer Instinct. See, that's... Well, the, Helix has made Silent Hill Homecoming, okay. G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, yeah. Frontless uh, and Evolve, uh, MX versus ATV Reflex, uh, Green uh, Lantern, Rise of the Man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There you go, Quark. <laughs> Battleship, the movie game. And oh, my on, God. 
Harker, a game called Harker, which is not on Xbox One. It's for PlayStation 3, Wii, and Xbox 360, and they're working on Killer Instinct. Here's here's the thing with the with the free to play model. It, it sounds it's, it sounds beautiful. Everybody's like, oh, it's gonna be fucking free. It's like, yeah, you get to play with Jago by himself, and then <laughs> you know, like 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 Danny said in the chat, are you are we willing to pay for every character? Say every character is three dollars, and you're like, ah, oh, we're gonna release the, the the whole roster from Killer Instinct one and two in the game. Are you kidding me? What if what if I only want to buy Saberwolf and Glacius and you know Slick wants to buy Cinder, Orchid and Chief Thunder and Quark wants to buy Riptor, Saberwolf and and Spinal. It's like, "Oh, that's great. Each of us have three characters." It's like, "Yo, get the fuck out of here with that." Like if you want to do something free to play, just be like, "Hey, buy the Xbox 1. Killer Instinct is loaded on your system for free." Oh, that'd be beautiful. Like that, uh... There you Actually, go. God, I remember, remember when 360 came out, it got that free puzzle game. Yep. That'd be, that'd, that'd be good. That's what I'm saying, but saying, oh, it's free to play. You get Jago first. Really? That's great. You know what else is free to play? Jerking off, because you get one hand, and then you have the <laughs> option of bringing in the other. Fucking bull. Get the fuck out of here. Pocket Pool Deluxe, the Xbox One edition. It's, 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 it's oh embarrassing. It's embarrassing how people were on Twitter like, yo, man, Killer Instinct is free. It's like, no, stupid. <laughs> Killer Instinct is not free. You get one guy for free. One. You know how many lonely... The big problem with that... Go ahead. The big problem with that is um, they have Evo. How the fuck are you going to have Evo if if... It's going to be a digital-only title, and it's going to be, quote-unquote, free-to-play. Let's say you have, like, pretty much the person you're going to be playing, let's say you go to Evo, and the console you're going to be playing it on, that person wants to buy a brand-new copy of the game just for everyone to play it. And essentially, you have to connect Xbox on or off. What if someone just yells Xbox off during a match? Oh, that would be the greatest <laughs> thing ever. It's like the Evo finals. You got, like, like PR, Balrog. Versus Noel Brown. And then you just Xbox go... Off. Then you just go, instead of dropping the mic, you just drop the control and go, Xbox off, I'm out. And everything just <laughs> shuts down, dude. It, you you posed a crazy scenario, but you know what? There's got to be something in place for that. Like, it, like, I'm sure they'll probably shut off the connects on all the systems, but it would be ridiculous if one guy forgets to shut it off, and it's like, yo, you had one job, one job. Now the finals <laughs> are over. <laughs> True. Xbox One is the future of rage quitting. <laughs> yep. There's going to be a lot of rage quitting. I, gonna... I will fork ass and kill it. And like, Xbox off. It was like, that's the last thing I heard him say. Yep. <laughs> no, but but like I said, the, the whole thing with free-to-play with Killer Instinct <laughs> is if you said, hey, you get the game for free and the first five characters are included in the console, you soften the blow just a touch. But it's like, yeah, you get one guy. <laughs> one guy. Yeah. Just one. Just one guy. Knock yourselves out. It's going to be a whole room of motherfuckers playing as Jago because they got no money. <laughs> just just ima- oh imagine, imagine that. Because think about it. Like like some of these younger kids whose parents do all the online purchases for them. They're like, oh, I got Killer Instinct for free. Ma, can I get three bucks? Not now, not now. The kid is going to be playing as, as Jago forever. There's going to be a hundred oh Jago masters because that's all they're going to use. Yo, who do you main, kid? Oh I main Jago. 
Well, I have a feeling what they'll do is they'll they'll specifically make Django work. <laughs> Django. So it's like, hey, you want to get better? Buy Glacius. He's top tier. Buy him. He's the best guy in the game. Django's fucking dick tier. <laughs> Django. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. But you know you know the crazy thing? Namco secured that the whole free-to-play slot by dropping Tekken Revolution this week, which was free-to-play. You get eight characters... To which eight. you get, yeah, wow. you, yeah, you get a whole whopping eight to use against the CPU or other players online. So shit, that's three five and two right there. <laughs> there you go. Three five and two came out with eight characters, and there were four bosses. There you go. But that's what I'm saying. Like Namco Bandai did that, but Killer Instinct gives you just Jago. <laughs> that's Top it. Here. Top tier. Jago is top tier. The other thing I wanted to bring up is how Twitch announced that they're in partnership with the Xbox One. So if you are a gold member, you'll be able to broadcast your games directly to Twitch TV. Now, the the announcement of this, obviously, as soon as this was announced at E3, I got a nice, wonderful, warm email from Twitch letting me know about it. Like, hey, you buy an Xbox One, you could stream directly to Twitch TV. As 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 somebody who twitches for you know who uses Twitch for the for the for the job you know for for MTR, do you guys even care about this? Is this even a selling point for either of you? No. There you because go. The streaming thing. First of all, the whole streaming thing is wonderful, but until we actually get our hands on the console and start using it and find out the good and the bad of it, it's something brand new. It's like. I don't care right now. There you go. I'm excited that I can show off to my friends, but me personally, at the time of day when I'm normally playing games, which is like 3 in the damn morning, there's, there's, there's no friends to show the game to. There you <laughs> go. Quark, what about you? Uh, um, Well, PlayStation 4 got Ustream, so that's cool. And... uh. Now that Twitch is going to be on Xbox, we're going to have a series of shitty videos that no one wants to watch. It's going to be an oversaturation, and that's a big problem in my opinion. Yo, kid, check out my Jago combo vid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, like, oh, I'm trying, it's like I'm trying to look for some good videos, and I have thousands of people showing me fucking Gears of War Judgment. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Well, uh, the, the bright side, though, Xbox did announce a brand new Summer of Arcade for Xbox Live Arcade, and that's one of the high points, I have to admit, that they do every summer. This year, you're going to get TMNT Out of the Shadows, uh, Flashback, uh, well, a remake of Flashback, um, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, and Charlie Murder from SKA Studios. They haven't announced any prices yet, but the Summer of Arcade, get this, starts August 7th. (laughs) At the end of summer, like every other summer, summer, quote-unquote, of arcade. Like, I'm going to fuck back to school. Like, it's not the summer, bitch. This is fall. Put this shit in July. What's your problem? Oh. I don't even want to touch that Turtles game because I looked at, like, they had this video on the the the, the front page of Xbox where I logged in last. And it was like, look at Donatello in action. I, I, I played it. It's like, he looks like a fucking alien. <laughs> like, he doesn't... The only thing... thing that clues me in that he's a turtle is the shell. <laughs> they completely changed the shape of his damn head and he looks like an alien. All Anybody right. who, you know, is near a 360 right now, log in 
And <laughs> they should be at the bottom. It'll say, like, TMNT Donatello in action. <laughs> and tell me he doesn't look like a fucking alien. He doesn't what, even look you... like the version of the turtle on the on the current cartoon. <laughs> it pains me you to don't say... Love being a turtle? <laughs> it pains me to say that the Summer of Arcade... The lineup seems a li- seems a little weaker than past years, and and to preface what Quark said, it's it's true. It's like August seventh. Like you should be releasing that, you know, starting July twenty first, or starting. I mean, starting June twenty first, and then through July and into August. You don't got to release each game every week, but just start it when summer starts because it's true. School school goes back in session usually within the second and third weeks of August you're going to lose the entire market that should be buying those titles. The best summer that Xbox 360 had in terms of, you know, free online gaming was, I think it was two, was it two or was it three? I think it was three years ago when they had one versus 100. I was about to say that. One versus 100 was Everybody insane. Everybody online with that shit. We'd have entire lobbies full of people with one versus 100. Because I remember that shit. Slick would be winning all the points and shit. People get all mad. <laughs> yeah, people were mad because I won like, I think I won like 10,000 Xbox Live points or something. It was like $100 worth of points or something like that. Yep. Still, you know, it's, 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 not, it's no big deal. I mean, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, but they're like, yeah, we're going to give you TMNT and then a remake and then some other stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't know about that. But in Europe, they gave away a car one versus a hundred. I do, I do remember that. That was that was pretty awesome in its own. I will say though that the thing that gets me out of all this stuff from E3 is just some of the stuff that they that were announced. That I'm just gonna bounce a couple of titles because otherwise we're gonna go into 3 a.m. doing this. Um, new Star Wars Battlefront, you know, obviously as part of part of EA's deal with Disney, got shown off by it's being produced by Dice. Using the new Frostbite three engine, um, I'll I'll start with Quark because I know he plays a lot of a lot of FPS. What do you think, new battle Star Wars Battlefront? Uh, I personally hated the first two, shocker, but I think that will be fucking bonkers. Uh, considering the Battlefield three, not is that, was it Battlefield three or four that they showed off at E three? I believe it was Battlefield four. four. The, the, the skyscrapers falling down. If they use that technology, ooh, this is gonna be a problem. Well, I, it concerns me because, you know, EA has, they're, they're not exactly loved by gamers on on certain fronts. I think that while Star Wars Battlefront is a, is a welcome return of a, of a classic franchise, I have a, a an inkling that EA is going to find a way to fuck it up. I don't think they will. Because, like, people like to say, oh, EA, they're, they're so terrible. They made some, re- like, they made Mass Effect. Not, well, not them personally, but they published Mass Effect. Uh, they published Brutal Legend. They've had a lot of good games under the belt. They just like people just like to crap on them because they had online passes. And considering that's gone, I don't. I think it'll it'll be fine. Considering Dice is making it and they have a pretty good track record. I only shit on EA because of their sports titles and their lousy roster updates. But that's that's a separate story. Well, they suck. Slick, uh, brand new Walking Dead from Telltale Games was announced DLC style. Um, it's going to be also released on the Vita, so you'll be able to play it on the Vita, and of course. On any of the new consoles, it's going to be four ninety nine uh, DLC for season one, and um, you know the 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 crazy thing with this Walking Dead game from Tell from Telltale is that it came 
quietly under the radar and everybody just fell in love with it? It's, I mean, it's, it's very good storytelling. Some of the gameplay is a little bit wonky. Like, I remember when I played the first episode, there was one part where there was this girl in a, in a motel room and there was zombies banging on the door and you had to get to her. That shit took me forever because I knew what to do, but to select the right chain of events was a pain in the ass. I mean, they, they just need to work on that aspect of it and it'll be fine. We're, we're getting a little, I don't want to say, we're, we're, we're very much too heavy in the zombie genre. So the fact that they're doing something a little bit different, it's good. But at the same time, it needs a little bit of refinement. Okay. Work, what are your thoughts, if any? Uh, pass. Ah, you don't, you don't mess with the Walking Dead games, huh? Yeah, me and John just made this used to make fun of it a lot because it was game of the year, and I was like, really, of all the games? I mean, I'm not knocking anyone who liked it. It's just it wasn't my thing. Well, I will say that the one where you play as Merle and his brother was complete dog shit. Really? I love that game. It was okay, but that... No, it, fuck that. I'm kidding. Oh. It was okay if it would have been like an Xbox Live Arcade title. But, yo, nobody's going to pay $50 for that game. I was like, are you crazy? 20 maybe. This, this new game that, that um, Xbox Live has? Oh, um... The new zombie game? State of, State of Decay, I think it is. State of Decay. I'm like, smart move, guys. Let's make a zombie game where you have to enlist the help of others and make it a single-player game. I'm like, what? <laughs> There you go. What kind of dumb shit is that? Well, that's a game that's streaming for multiplayer. Oh, people love it though. I, I've I've been seeing a lot of a lot of great yeah. feedback from it. I was I was waiting I was to see if we got it. a review code, but the Last of Us wasn't coming out. Oh, the Last of Us is gonna. I know. I know. Slick is all over that. Yeah, but that's not really a zombie game. But that's a whole other story. Well. On the RPG side of things, Final Fantasy 14, well, 15, excuse me, is going to get released. Everybody was thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be on play a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and there was a whole bunch of misinformation all over the internet, but it's going to be released on the PS4 and the Xbox One, and we also got an announcement of Kingdom Hearts. Um, I'll throw it to Quark first. Kingdom Hearts, I know you're pumped. I cried, I'll be honest. <laughs> Who the fuck thought those games were exclusives? Oh, dude, it was all over Twitter. would have definitely said that shit. I didn't hear him say it. Oh, it was all over Twitter. 13 ain't exclusive, 14 ain't exclusive, and 15 ain't exclusive. And neither is Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh, they were going crazy on on, on Twitter. Twitter, you know, Twitter almost almost caught a flame with how many dudes were on it. Yo, man, you know, it's going to be exclusive on the PlayStation 4, and that way, you know, we we, we need that stuff because Final Fantasy only works on the PlayStation. Only works on the PlayStation. It only works on the PlayStation, even though, you know, this brand new Xbox has super powerful hardware and fucking Blu-ray, so you won't get 19 discs to finish the game, but it only works on the PlayStation. Verbatim. That's what. That's the kind of shit I saw on Twitter. <sighs> yeah, exactly. This is this is what happens. Like, I, I was excited for seeing another Kingdom Hearts game because... They're always so well done, and above all else, they're so well received. 
Final Fantasy, you know, highs and lows. Kingdom Hearts, everybody jumps on that shit. But of course, there's always the the cock smack in the face that Final Fantasy X and X2 are coming out on the Vita and crickets, crickets when you mention, so what's up with the remake of Final Fantasy VII? Hey, come on, come Never on, happening. don't, 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 don't hurt. Let me tell you, Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out with a bundle with Detox. Oh my god. <laughs> Final Fantasy VII Remake will come out as a launch title for the fucking PS10. Oh shit! There you go, but you know what? The, the, system seller. There you go, system seller off the bat. System seller is Plants vs Zombies Garden Warfare. That is is a, is a system seller going outside of the box where um you'll be able to control the zombies as well as the as the plants. It's practically Call of Duty with plants, more or less. You can do that in the first game. There you go, but everybody thought it was so revolutionary. I mean, I like. Plants vs. Zombies, it's it's very therapeutic for me, but we get it. Plants and fucking zombies, thanks. I like it. Oh, I like it too, but it's not, you know, it doesn't deserve the, the, the you know, the, the, the jizz screaming that we heard from, from multiple, oh, no. from multiple venues throughout the last couple of days. Oh my God, that's so great. It's like, all right, we got it. It's Plant vs. Zombies. If Garden Thanks. Warfare is $60, I'll be, I'll be shocked, honest. It shouldn't be. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it, don't downloadable title. Yeah, but $60. Ouch. Well, the other, the other giant announcement was a brand new Pac-Man. <laughs> oh God, stop. Brand, brand new Pac-Man. Already, just stop. Xbox Live Arcade, PSN, PC, 3DS, and Wii U eShop would be getting the Pac-Man Museum. Also, Championship Edition DX is getting a free update, get that, called DX Plus, featuring graphics and new skins from other Namco titles, including Dig Dug and Rally X. You know how many people give a fuck about that? Never mind. No one. I thought you were talking about that uh that Pac-Man brawler that's coming out soon. No, no, because I, I saw Okay, good, thank God. I saw screenshots <laughs> of that and I'm like, yeah, no. No. But I did wanna I, I did want to talk about this. Uh Shuhei Yoshida from Sony, he did an interview with Computer and Video Games about the um the PlayStation 4 shelf life that he expects the system to have. He said that the PlayStation 4 shelf life that they're shooting for is for a minimum of ten years. He said I would say the same or similar because the PS4 has an incredible amount of RAM, and I don't think long, launch titles need that eight gig of RAM, that eight gigs of RAM to start. So there's plenty of room for growth in regards to game content and system features. In the middle of the PS3, we really hit the limit of what we could do on the system side. We wanted to add cross-game voice chat that many people asked us about, but we had no room in the system memory at all to add it. So the PS4's enlarged, very fast memory allows us in the future to improve and add more new features. At the same time, we're continuing to invest and add onto the online services so that three years from now or four years from now, the PS4 will be much, much better than the PS4 this holiday season. So with regards to that, how crazy is it that the PlayStation 3 didn't hit its li- its limit okay, until recently? Well, yeah, I was going to say that the um, the game will be, the console will be able to last for 10 years because I still see the PS3 meeting that 
original claim of a 10-year console life cycle. It's about to hit seven years in a few months. And yep. it definitely has three left because the PlayStation 2, they just stopped making video. Yep. The last video game was put out this year. Right. And, and Quark, they're actually still technically making FIFA. What was that, Quark? Go ahead. They're actually still technically producing FIFA games for the PS2. Technically, yes. Yeah. Well, you know... Yeah, yay, FIFA. Oh, yeah, well, that that goes without saying. The thing that gets me is that in the middle of the console's life cycle is when they finally hit the limit. And this is after seeing, you know, Uncharted 2, Uncharted 3, God of War 3, you know, titles that really push the system to the limit, which leads me to believe that when... When when the PS4 drops and they drop a, a graphically intensive game like like an Uncharted, it's going to be ridiculous with the amount of processing power behind that system. This is the same system, the PS3, that was being used for medical research, powering supercomputers, and it took set, practically seven years for it to hit its limit. It's 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 an crazy it's a crazy statistic. Hmm. Meanwhile, on the this is true. Meanwhile, on, on on the Xbox One side, of course, they had to ask Yoshida about that. He said design, designing the PS4 was all about learning lessons from the PS3. Ease of development and the cost of the system is a big part. We always wanted to hit 399, and we designed the system and carefully chose out of all the potential inclusions of core hardware components that we could make a system that would sell for 399. So we just did what we aimed to do, and we're hoping that people would like it. I was very surprised about the announcement by some other company in a good way. Once again, Oof. the trolling. <laughs> Proud of them. How you do it? I, like I said, it, it, it's a it's a tremendous price point, and I like that he acknowledged that the PlayStation Three had flaws at launch because we all know that we all we all know that the PlayStation Three collected dust for the better part of almost a year because it was like oh my god the sporadic titles. But then that second year it started hitting traction, and by the third year it was it was game on. I honestly wish I got into the PS3 earlier than the Xbox because I honestly wish I like instead of building on my 360 library, build on my PS3 library because I just look at like PlayStation Plus and just like ah, oh, I wish I had it because it's just su- just such a more nicer console in my opinion. Well, the thing with the thing that I that I felt that Sony did right is that. They gave you the free online, but with the PSN Plus, they rewarded you for investing that money. They were like, hey, you know, thanks for giving us your money. By the way, we're going to give you three free games. And it wasn't like like low-key bullshit titles either. It was like Little Big Planet 2, Infamous, games, you know, games that have incredible shelf life. I mean, Little Big Planet 2, their development community of just gamers creating levels and all that shit is still very, very strong. Well, then you have Xbox trying to, uh, pretty much trying to match PlayStation Plus by saying, oh, we'll give you free games until Xbox One launches. Oh, here's Fable 3, a game I can get used at GameStop for literally $5. That's right. Oh, you can get uh, Halo 3. Who doesn't have Halo 3? I have three copies of Halo 3. Everyone has Halo 3. Stop, they're like, Xbox like, oh, here's some free games. They're all old games. PlayStation Plus is giving out games that came out last November. Like, you can't, they can't even compete. Well, while oh, we're yeah, man. Go I was going to start copying Little Big Planet. What's that new game that's coming out? Oh, um... Oh, 
man, God. Project something. Starts with an R, I think. Because oh, they showed the demo of what people have made. Somebody made a, a board that looked like Limbo. Right, right, right. Like, yeah, they, they, they're copying a little bit. Project uh-huh. Spark. Thank you, Danny. Danny said it also in the chat. Spark. That's correct. It's true. There's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of subtle nuances. And one of the big things I wanted to bring up was the 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 evolution of Xbox achievements. And I wanted I wanted to Ooh. yeah I wanted to pluck uh, Quark's brain about that because the new way the achievements are going to be now is that there's there's going to be two kinds of achievements stuff that you can earn that aren't achievements like achievements for watching television. My God. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Hold on. Uh, so here, here's how it works. So you can earn more than just regular achievements. Those are always going to be there, but you're also going to, the games are going to set challenges where you're going to be limited in availability. And those are going to be pegged to, you know, real world time frames. So it'll be like, Oh, play this game at 12 midnight. And the challenges uh, can be achieved cumulative, uh, cumulatively. So, the way it works is like you could do a headshot weekend challenge, which is going to have the players have one, you know, like let's say you got a headshot, one million bad guys in a three-day weekend. This was what Kotaku cited as an example. Um, and that'll allow that challenge goal to unlock an achievement and a quote-unquote reward. Uh, achievements need to be like revamped. As in, if I get all, let's say I, like it, PS4, you know, platinum trophies or getting all 60 achievements in 360 games. I, want, I actually want something for that. You know what I mean? Give me, like, a theme to show off or, you know, make my digital avatar look cooler. Don't just have an icon that no, no one besides me cares about. Sure, it adds replayability to some games, but after you're done, like, it's like some achievements, like, okay, why would I even try to get that? Give me something to show off for that. Oh, Slick, our very own Slick is a, is a, is a platinum trophy master. He's got quite a few of them for a couple of different games. Well, I don't know. The, the whole platinum trophy thing is something that I feel that Microsoft had dropped the ball on because the platinum trophy, it's like achievements in, in trophies in and of themselves are bragging rights. So the platinum trophy is supposed to be like the ultimate bragging right. I beat the shit out of this game. Which really, all it really says is I did all the things they told me to do. <laughs> but still, it's something that Xbox doesn't give you. Right. But, I, I mean, I can agree with Quark. Yeah. And PlayStation does need to do that because that's something that the 360 currently does in a way. Like, a lot of the games, you know, if you achieve certain things, you don't get an achievement. You get, you know, a Xbox Live reward, which is usually like a theme or something for your avatar, which, again, it, it's, it's up for debate whether or not you give a shit about that, but it's something. Well, the other thing also is that they're going to, like I said, you're going to earn achievements by watching a video, using certain music apps, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the, the extra, they're, they're extracurricular ones that are side benefits, but the fact is that you're going to get achievements for using the system. I don't know if that's just because they want to get you 
to use it for your everyday day to day. Like what, you know, what, what Quark was saying about, oh, look, I can watch cable on my on my Xbox. You know, it's like, are you going to get a, an achievement for watching the NBA finals on, on your Xbox? Or are you going to get an achievement for voting on American Idol through your Xbox? To me, that just sounds like they added Get Glue to Xbox One. Yeah. There you that's go. Right. That's a great point. That's right. I'm I'm shocked. I'm actually shocked that they didn't make a pitch to try and acquire that company, one of them, to use that IP for achievements. I am shocked. Because that, you know, people would definitely do that. That would be a smart move because that goes back to what Quartz said. Because Get Glue lets you order stickers. So, I mean, shit. At least give me a damn sticker. Well, the you know, to close to close things out, I gotta you know, just bring everything full circle. We all know both systems had a tremendous showing. PlayStation four definitely <laughs> the edge on multiple fronts, obviously price being the big factor. Um what they're saying now is that uh PlayStation three and Xbox were differentiated because of the whole free online multiplayer, but now PlayStation Plus is gonna be required for online multiplayer at a cost of 50 bucks for year. And, you know, all the entertainment stuff is still going to be accessible for free. But on the Xbox side, if you don't have Xbox Live Gold, you won't get to use any of those features. So, with that said, does PlayStation 4 hold the advantage because they'll still allow you to enjoy all those entertainment features going into this new cycle? Yeah. It's cheaper, you get more stuff, and you still get free games. Okay. And you don't have to log on every damn day. Yep. How do you guys feel about the controllers for each system? I think the the PlayStation 4 controller looked really nice. A lot of people like that the Xbox One, the um the buttons on the Xbox One are are, are just as sensitive as the rest of the buttons on the system. I like them. I mean, I like that they didn't change them too much. I think I like the DualShock 4 better. I like the. I've always loved the DualShock 4 for fighting games. The DualShock for fighting games has always been like my go-to. It wasn't until I got the uh, the 360 controller with the with the with the adjustable cross that I was able to enjoy fighting games on the Xbox. I think it's still hard to use though. It's still like it's not like the different separate buttons. It's still, like one pad. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know how so many people. I've seen a lot of guys they use the analog stick for for fighting games. How? I don't and know. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't use it the, the pad. Like it feels weird. Me. What was that, Slick? feels more like a joystick to me. I When I play a fighting game, I literally switch back and forth. Well, the last the last thing I wanted to, to bring up is social social interact. You know, the, the social aspect. Obviously, Sony's bridging the gap using a lot of social stuff. Uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all that, and just allowing your system to be a more social experience where you can have, you know, one of your friends hop in and help you out on a level, etc. Xbox is more multimedia home theater and less social. Do you think that's going to hurt them in the long run, or you guys think that Sony's doing it right by, by using so much more of the social aspect to get gamers involved? 
Sony's doing it right in the sense that they realize that they had to step up the social aspect of PSN because it wasn't holding a candle to Xbox Live. But what's, what Microsoft is doing, it doesn't really mean that they have less of a social aspect. It, when you were asking it, it just occurred to me, they really just didn't, they didn't address the social aspect at all, which just makes me think that what they currently have is going to basically stay the same, which isn't really a bad thing because it's good, but, I mean, you could have done something different for the Xbox One, which I'm sure they will at some point because they're always changing how Xbox Live looks. But in February... Sony made a big point to push the whole social aspect, and what they showed, if it, what happened? Fork is dying over there. I don't know. He's got the plague. I think he was blowing his nose or passing gas, one of the two. <laughs> there you go. No, Pro- proceed. The, the social aspect that they showed, it, it's a step in the right direction, but we, it, it, we have to see how it actually works when it comes out. As it stands, if it works the way they showed, it'll be better than the current Xbox Live. But that's not to say that Microsoft isn't going to revamp theirs at all. Solid points. I will say, though, that Microsoft made a whole big thing when they put Facebook and Twitter on Xbox Live. Now, no fucks are given, because I don't even think anybody looks at that. I think they actually took them out. I don't even know if they're still there in the apps. They took them out to download. If you still have them installed, you can use them, because I still have them installed on my Xbox. But one yeah, you can, Basically, if, if you don't have it now, tough shit. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I didn't yeah. think that was a big thing. To begin with, I didn't. I didn't care less when they added it. It, it was a really an, uh, something I wasn't concerned about. The big thing for me with both systems now is upgrading the storage. Obviously, that was always a big problem with the Xbox 360 with their oh. with their hard drive. Um, oh. you know, pocket rape. Meanwhile, the PlayStation, you could just upgrade the, your hard drive as you wish. Both systems are going to come out of the gate with 500 gigs of storage, and they will allow you to attach external storage. Um. Well, on the Sony side, they haven't fully confirmed it, but I'm sure they will. But you're going to be able to upgrade the hard drive either way. Meanwhile, on the Xbox One, they will allow USB external storage. I read earlier today that that the PS4 will be like the PS3, that you can swap out the hard drive. Okay. Go ahead, Quark, you were going to say? But the problem with the Xbox is they've already said about, like, mandatory installing of games. Yep. Like, you know how quick this is going to eat up your hard drive? Oh, that 500 gigs would be gone. Especially, yeah, I mean, after that, and then you can't even replace your hard drive. Wait, are you going to have a USB stick per game? <laughs> like, I don't see that working out exactly very well. Probably a one terabyte or one or 500 gig external hard drive is probably what they're going to let see, you rock with. Why didn't they give you a terabyte hard drive, you know what I mean? For living in a day and age, you're going to have a 500 gigabyte hard drive? Why not go a terabyte? And terabytes are cheap. You can get a terabyte for, for yeah. under $100. Yeah, especially if your copy would be a hundred more dollars. Hey, we got double the hard drive space. With the mandatory install, Xbox One should have come with at least a terabyte of storage. Yep, I, I can agree to that. The thing with that though is we don't know if the PlayStation also has mandatory installations. I wouldn't doubt if they would have to. According but yet again, you can change your hard drives out. 
according to a chart on Gizmodo, mandatory game installs that says no for PlayStation 4. It's like confusing me. If they're both using, like, Blu-ray discs, and they're both, like, if they're both using Blu-rays, why isn't there installations? I don't know. But, again, this chart, I, I was looking at Gizmodo's chart. They have it listed as no, but I'm sure they'll give you the option to install. I mean, I don't install too many games on my PlayStation 3 now, as it is, so... I mean, they'll probably give you the option. Xbox One is looking to make it mandatory, which, you know, whatever. The one the one spec that I'm very pumped about on the PlayStation side is that it is not region locked. Huh. So that I'm actually looking forward to because, you know, sometimes Japan gets some really awesome games. So it'll be cool if you can pick up the imports and enjoy them on your PlayStation 4 without any sort of mods or having to buy a Japanese system. So basically, you're saying you for your birthday you want the um, the the um, what do you call it? The Rosetta Stone for Japanese? No, but I I, I own a lot of <laughs> I own a lot of Japanese fighting games, and it was always one of the things I enjoyed because in Japan they get so many great games that they don't see the light of day here for whatever for whatever reason. I mean, remember the whole big thing with Tatsunoko versus Capcom when it finally came out here on the Wii. And how you can't even buy that game now because they pulled it because of the license. Meanwhile, if you have a Japanese system, awesome. you can you can look for you can bag it fairly easy. You know, game's got here. Hell yeah! I'm glad I bought it, yep, you can't buy it. Like I, it is crazy. Like I've seen resale values for that game on eBay in the hundreds. You want you me to pick find... it up for my GameStop for twenty bucks for you? Because they have them. I don't need it, dude. I don't have the Wii anymore. I sold that shit. Oh, man. Because you're, you're going to buy a Wii U. You're right. It's okay. Well, I was well, at the at the time. I was at the... You know what it was? The my the, the Wii system I had was a paperweight. I only played the, the sports... You know, the sports games. I used Wii Fit and Mario. That was it. And then after a while, it's like, all right. Not, nothing else really good came out. Oh, and uh, uh, Muramasa and... Um, Moromasa probably was the only other one, and and um, Travis touchdown. That was it. Great game. Yeah. Other than that, what it collected dust. The... Good. No, go ahead. It's like I was done. I was saying, what do you think about the new Mario going back to the whole Super Mario Brothers two style of using four different characters? Ah, uh, I actually like it. I think it it'll be good to get people to play as some of the other characters. I mean, I used to love playing Super Mario 2 with with Toad and the Princess. I didn't even use Mario or Luigi and his stupid yeah, running legs. Oh, <laughs> uh, his fucking jump pissed me off. It was Toad and Prin- and the Princess through all of Super Mario 2. Basically. There you go. Doki Doki Panic, son. Oh, yeah, Doki Doki Panic. Yeah, there you go. Well... I think I think that covers up everything I needed to go over for E3. Uh, just to close things out, you guys have anything else to add? Slick, anything? I'm pissed that they pushed back the deal on the wonderful 101 again. It's like the third delay really? of the game. Was that supposed to be a launch title? It was title? supposed to come out in July. Yes, it was supposed to be a launch title. It was supposed to come out in July, and now it's supposed to come out in September. And then, then um, people are pissed now that they've seen it that Bayonetta 2 is a Wii U exclusive. I was pissed about that. People want to bitch, but it's like that game when it came out, Nintendo didn't give them the money, so stop crying. 
I liked I liked the first the Bayonetta. Really I had a I had a I had a good time with that game. It was a a guilty pleasure, you know. Well, she cut her hair now. I know. So. <laughs> On that bush swag. I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus. Well, the entire costume was bush. <laughs> that is true. Well, what do you call it though? And they're, they're working on this other game that's like just codenamed X right now, where they have like the character like piloting Gundams and they're like gigantic monsters. That game looks incredible. From you know, visually it looks incredible. Hopefully, gameplay it'll be incredible too. So games like that need to come out sooner rather than later, and maybe I'll pick up a Wii U. That's what I'm that, saying. That's right, but that, that like game's not coming quality. out until at least 2014 because they said yeah. it's in development. It doesn't even have a name yet. Ugh. Yeah, like they, they need some of these crazy games to be coming out holiday, and Mario doesn't count on it. And that new Mario looks it's a 3DS game poured over the Wii, and another Donkey Kong game? I don't know. Just, yeah, not a fan. There you go. Quark, you have anything else to add? About E3 that you want to uh, shoot? Nothing, I... Go ahead. Uh, nothing except that I just read that you can disable the Kinect. So you don't have to worry about Evo. That is all. <laughs> but and, 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 and like I said, you only had one job and someone will forget. <laughs> <laughs> someone will forget. All right. With that, um, that wraps up the gaming segment. Of course, you can follow Quark at Quark MTR on Twitter. Look for his commentary on gaming in our gaming section. Also look for his work on Buried on MyTakeRadio.com. Of course, you can find Slick, MTR Slick, on Twitter and look for him all over MyTakeRadio.com's content as well. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Peace. All right, peace. All right, so... Quark and, and, and Slick definitely gave me a solid assist with um, the gaming this week because the E3 shit, I, it was making my head spin because we had so much stuff to do. But, um, <laughs> Danny, why you got to do that? Hadonejob.com. Why? Now I'm going to waste my time reading that all day. Anyway, that concludes our gaming for this week. We have some entertainment news we got to discuss, including some what the fuck movie news. It is now 1.30 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. Just a quick reminder for those that are listening to the show on Blog Talk Radio, the feed there ceases at 2 a.m., but you can still listen to it via our Mixler feed and by going to the Listen tab on MyTakeRadio.com. All right, let's talk entertainment. So first up, we got to talk about some Expendables news. There's a rumor going around, and uh, Showbiz Showbiz 411 mentioned it as well, that Mel Gibson is in line for Expendables 3, and he will be playing the lead villain. He would be joining Sylvester Stallone, Jackie Chan, Wesley Snipes, Mila Jovovich, and Nicolas Cage, and any other Expendables cast members that may be returning. As of right now, there's no confirmation on the rest of the casting. So, you know, take that rumor with a grain of salt. But I will say that a Mel that Mel Gibson as a bad guy is... You know what the problem is with Mel Gibson as a bad guy? 
it's not so much that he's the bad guy. It's just whatever fight scene you're going to get with Mel Gibson is just going to look so, so awkward, especially if you have, like, say if you had Wesley Snipes as your villain and he was fighting, you know, a fight with him and Stallone or a fight with him and Jackie Chan would look really good just because Wesley Snipes works in that environment and it looks good. Like, personally, I would do Wesley Snipes as the bad guy and maybe have Mila Jovovich be his number two and then use all the other guys in, um, you know, just use all the other guys as expendables. Uh, Strider in the chat says, just use a collection of Mel Gibson's voice messages. Bam, bad guy. It's true, but I mean, I'm looking at it from the final battle standpoint. Like, think about when Van Damme at the end of Expendables 2 fought Stallone, how out of place Stallone looked against Van Damme, because when you look at it, Van Damme's finesse just looked leaps and bounds ahead of just Stallone running around, oh, I'm going to kill you, you know, it just it just wasn't the same. Same thing, same thing with Jason Statham. Like whenever Jason Statham fights certain other certain actors, you can see that they just they're in a different class, especially when they're not action stars or well versed in martial arts like some like like the characters that are that they're fighting. It just looks awkward. Or not for nothing, Jackie Chan definitely on Stallone's side. Maybe Mel Gibson, if you want to do it, and make Tony Ja his number two. I would give anything to see Tony Ja and Jackie Chan fight. It would be insane. Or Tony Ja and Jet Li. A Tony Ja and Jet Li fight would be insane. Or even Joe Toslim from The Raid. Throw Joe Toslim in there and, and make him one of the guys that you want to use. It's 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 perfect. But as of right now, all this casting to, for from what I've heard is 50-50. Some guys are are 100% on board, some aren't. But Expendables 3 will be in theaters August 15th, 2014, so we got a long ways to go to fully finalize all the cast members. So, in some Marvel news, we were talking about last week how they had cast um, the guy from American Horror Story as the lead for Quicksilver in the X-Men Days of the Future Past. Now, on the Avengers side of things, it looks like Marvel is looking to cast Aaron Taylor Johnson, who many of you know as Kick-Ass, as Quicksilver in Avengers 2. This is all according to the rap. While there hasn't been a decision yet, all signs point to Aaron Taylor Johnson being a front-runner for the part. I think I think Aaron Taylor Johnson would be interesting to see as Quicksilver. I'm not sure he'd be the guy that I, could, that I would think would pull off the whole... Um, like pompous jackass that that Quicksilver is, but you never know. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson has surprised me as it is, and who knows? I think adding a, a guy who's already had uh, some work in in the superhero genre under his belt into a film like The Avengers will do nothing but really raise his stock in Hollywood. I don't know what they're gonna do with regards to um, Scarlet Witch because they were looking at um, Cerise Ronan who um, is the, the the actress that Joss Whedon has had an eye on for quite some time as Scarlet Witch. But I, I think she might be a little too young, in my opinion, to play Scarlet Witch. You want a, a la- you want a, definitely a younger girl, but definitely a girl who looks close enough in age to Quicksilver that it works. I think she looks a little, a little too pixie-ish, a little too young, in my opinion. But as of right now, like I said, the, the casting for both those characters isn't 100% confirmed but um 
Avengers 2 drops summer 2015, so we'll see what they're going to do with regards to that casting, and I'm sure we'll know sooner rather than later. On the box office side of things, it should come as not as no surprise that The Purge was number one at the box office this past weekend, earning $36.4 million. Fast 6 was number two, uh, earning $19.8 million, bringing its U.S. totals to $202.9 million. Now You See Me was number three. The Internship was number four. I can't even believe that people spent money on that turd of a movie. $18.1 million. Epic was number five. Star Trek Into Darkness was six. After Earth was seven. The Hangover Part Three was eight. Iron Man 3 was nine, earning $5.7 million, bringing its totals to $394.3 million. The Great Gatsby was number 10. I will tell you this. The Purge can enjoy its run of the box office this past weekend because it's going to be purged out of the number one spot by the Man of Steel, which is just going to come in there and pretty much, I guarantee you, would obliterate the box office this weekend. I'm, I'm figuring at least an easy $80 million run with midnight showings combined with the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday numbers. I, I'm seeing at least $80 million, maybe 90 at best. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, one of us or all of us at some point are going to see The Man of Steel this weekend. So be on the lookout for a review on MyTakeRadio.com. Production for Hercules starring The Rock is already... In full effect, filming in Budapest, Hungary. The film is scheduled to come out July 25th, 2014. Uh, the Rock has actually released some pictures on his Instagram. Um, and, you know, basically the way they're going to go with this film is they're going to use the graphic novel or Hercules, The Thracian Wars, and they're going to use that as, you know, a bit of a revisionist take on the myth. And there's going to be uh, a bit more of a grounded approach to it. The You know, everybody knows, you know... The, this film is going to utilize a story that takes place after Hercules completed his labors. It, it's going to be good to see how well audiences react to this. I mean, like I said, the pictures The Rock put up look really cool, but then we also got that other Hercules films coming out. So I, I think The Rock film has a better cast, and I think it's just going to have better production where people are going to jump all over it. Not 100% sold on Brett Ratner directing the film, but... The Rock, the, the Rock hasn't disappointed thus far with his film, so we'll see how he fares with Hercules in 2014. So, I'd say about six months back, we were talking about the chance for them to go with a sequel for Top Gun, but of course, after the death of Tony Scott, things got very, very quiet. Well, it seems that those rumors are once again running rampant that we will get a second Top Gun movie with Tom Cruise being involved. Hopefully, um, as of right now, Paramount is interested in making it, and Tom Cruise is interested as well, but they haven't really come to terms with bringing it together. For me, I think, you know, hopefully it's good. I, I think that the whole Top Gun thing, it was enjoyable for what it was. Does it warrant a sequel? No. And if you're going to do one... It's going to require a lot of special effects and a solid story to grab people and get them to invest money in, in, in into this film. Because the, when you watch a movie like Top Gun now, you're like, all right, it was okay. But let's be honest, and I, and, and I direct this to the chat. If Top Gun, the first film, came out now in theaters, 
Would you run to the theater to see it? I'm curious as to what you guys would say, because the thing is, there's certain movies that they stand the test of time. And if they're, they're released now, people will still enjoy them. I think Top Gun is, is a good film, but it's a film that was good then, not now. I think if I watch Top Gun now, I'd throw it in the same bucket as the Iron Eagle movies, which are movies that I'd probably watch on cable, but I would never spend $14 to go see in the box office. <laughs> uh, one of the GFQ members, 8562, uh, just dropped a, a, a nice nugget of info with regards to Top Gun. You know, it, it's funny, and I and I can only think of the Tarantino skit with regards to Top Gun. And if you're curious, just look up Quentin Tarantino talks about Top Gun. Slick, if you'd be a dear, kindly uh, share that in the um, in the chat if you get a chance, just so people can appreciate it. Like I said, I think Top Gun doing a sequel. Like anything else, it would probably generate a bit of a buzz, but I don't think people are going to go out there and really spend that kind of money. So, with Man of Steel not even officially in the number one slot at the box office, we are already looking at a sequel being fast-tracked. So, there will be a sequel to the Man of Steel already being fast-tracked, and the intent is to do two Superman films and then use that as a setup for the Justice League, which I'll get into a little a little further in the segment. So there you have it. Superman, not in the box office yet, not even not even collecting any sort of money, but we're already working on a second one. And I'm not shocked in the least. Splinter Cell, the film is starting to come together. It looks like the producer of Clash of the Titans and the town is going to be involved. Um, he also has Brooklyn's Finest to his credit. That is... Uh, Ba- uh, ba- Basil Iwanek, he um he's gonna sign on to produce the Splinter Cell film. Tom Hardy has been attached to star as Sam Fisher. The film is being written by Eric Warren Singer, who wrote the inter who did the International. So there you go. Splinter Cell is coming together quite nicely, and Tom Hardy as Sam Fisher, I'm very curious about because you know that alone. Tom Hardy's a great actor, and I want to see how he. He can bring Sam Fisher to life. I mean, don't get me wrong. He surprised me as Bane, but um, I'm pumped. I want to see Sam Fisher on the big screen. Sue me. So the big news that I read this morning, and it's just because I'm such a huge mark for the Friday the 13th films, is that they're finally releasing a complete Friday the 13th Blu-ray box set coming out Friday, September 13th. You can actually pre-order that starting August 9th, and the pre-orders, you can pre-order them on Amazon by heading over to My Take Radio's Amazon store, and you can pre-order there. Same thing with the uh, PS4 and the Xbox One. Look them up in the MTR store, and you can pre-order through Amazon, plus it helps us out as well. Anyway, Friday the 13th is getting a full-on box set, which I will be buying. It's going to be 10 discs, and it's going to um, it's gonna run you $129.00. You're going to have all 12 movies on nine Blu-ray discs plus one-tenth bonus disc. You're also It's coming with a collectible tin case, 11 hours of unreleased features, a, a soft cover book, um, which is going to have some stuff from the Crystal Lake Memories uh, history of Friday the 13th. And you know, you're going to get 200 interviews, 600 photos, storyboards, you name it. 
Also, you're going to get digital versions of the film in ultraviolet. So here's what you get. The original 1980 Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981. The 3D version of Friday the 13th Part 3. You're going to get the final chapter, which is appearing on Blu-ray for the first time. You're going to get Part 5, A New Beginning. 6, Jason Lives, which are also new on Blu-ray. Friday the 13th Part 6 is one of my all-time favorites, so I'm definitely pumped for that. Of course, A New Blood, Jason Takes Manhattan, which are also new to Blu-ray. Then you're going to get Jason Goes to Hell and Jason X. And on disc number 8, you're getting Freddy vs. Jason and Friday the 13th, the remake from 2009, which is going to have the killer the killer cut extended edition and the three, theatrical version. Plus, of course, like I said, the 10th disc is a bonus DVD disc. Um, <laughs> Strider says you get all the Friday the 13th films. Jason X is free. I, I'm I'm going to pick it up. I, like I said, I have, a, I'm a huge horror buff, especially the Friday the 13th films. Uh, part one being one of my favorites. Nothing, nothing beats, um, Jason's mother just going out there and stabbing you, stabbing you for, for, for nine, you know, 90 some odd minutes. Plus nothing beats Jason's mother, talking in his voice like a psychopath, which was fantastic all its own. But like I said, the biggest get for me is part six, which I still own on DVD. I actually bought that by itself because I was such a a huge fan of that one. And I'm super excited to see that on Blu-ray. Like I said, 129, it's going to be, you can pre-order it August 9th and um, you can grab them all on Blu-ray. So Michael Bay's in, the movie segment this week, our entertainment segment, I should say, because besides Transformers and Pain and Gain and Ninja Turtles, Michael Bay wants to try his hand at Ghost Recon. Of course, the original game series, which launched in 2001, later on went to Ghost Recon Future Soldier, of course, following the U.S. Army Special Forces team, the Ghosts. Uh, Michael Bay is looking to develop it with Warner Brothers, and as of right now, it's not 100% confirmed, but if he does do it, he will do it after he completes Transformers 4. I see Strider is dying in the chat room. He's doing a Darth Vader. No! <laughs> I'm sorry, Strider, but Michael Bay did express interest in, ta- in tackling Ghost Recon. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. Strider, Strider's just dying in the chat room, and, and I feel terrible, but... I don't know. I mean, in terms of just blowing shit up and making it look cool, he might do a good job. In terms of it being a good story, yeah, the jury's still out on that. Slick is going to love to know that Teen Titans Go! is returning for its second season. Uh, TV Guide reported that the show is the top animated show on Tuesday nights. The show, of course, features the voice cast of the original Teen Titans, including, you know, Scott Menville, uh, Hinden Walsh, Tara Strong, Greg Sipes, and Carrie Payton, of course, doing Teen Titans Go! And it is getting a second season, so props to them for that. In some G.I. Joe news, John Chu has pretty much signed the dotted line to return to direct G.I. Joe 3. Of course, G.I. Joe Retaliation uh, brought in The Rock and Bruce Willis made a shit ton of money. And while it wasn't super great, it definitely was leaps and bounds better than G.I. Joe than the first G.I. Joe film. I think G.I. Joe 2 was enjoyable for what it was. It made a ton of money. It made $365 million worldwide after the March release. So definitely some positive buzz there. 
I mean, they really did some really cool stuff with Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, which I liked. I like seeing Firefly there. Um, you know, not sure how I feel about, you know, some of the other stuff they did, like I said, leaving Destro and the Baroness out. But other than that, and a couple of other small gripes, which you can read in my review of the film, it, it was all right. I enjoyed it. So we'll see what happens with G.I. Joe 3 and if The Rock is going to return for that. But considering the payday that he got and the amount of money the film made, I'm sure The Rock will be returning. Simple as that. So here is your what the fuck movie news of the entertainment segment for this week. You guys, I'm sure you guys grew up reading these these particular books. And no, it's not Goosebumps. And no, it's not Are You Afraid of the Dark? Or, you know, Wayside School is Falling Down? Or Matilda? Or James and the Giant Peach? Oh no. This is a deal to acquire the rights to choose your own adventure. I kid you not. Choose Your Own Adventure is getting the big screen treatment. The Hollywood Reporter put out an article saying that John Davis and John Fox of of Davis Entertainment will be producing it, and Fox is hoping for a cross-platform, four-quadrant action-adventure franchise. Of course, if you grew up reading these books, basically you'd start reading the first few chapters of the book, and then depending on what you want to do, you'd skip ahead a couple of pages and go with that course of action. Of course, doing that would lead to different fates, good, different endings, good or bad. And um, I remember reading these books when I was a kid. Uh, the last the last series of books came out during the late 90s. There were 180 titles. Um, 250 million books were sold worldwide. But yes, we are getting a movie based on Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh, look. I understand you want to do something different and you want to adapt different things, but seriously, you're going to try and convert choose your own adventure into, into a film. Strider says you're going to have your choice of sending a text in a theater. (laughs) Well, you know what? If you go to see a movie in Alamo, you will get thrown out. I, I think that there's so many other things that you can do that then choose your own adventure. Seriously? Like, Like, of all the books that are out there, the great kids' books that are out there, that's what you go with? Get the fuck out of here. No, the amount of people that are going to be, that are going to be hyped for that are, 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 I could probably count them on one hand, to say the least. It's, it's insane. I, I, I can't. Oh, Strider says, everyone will pay $15 for an IMAX 3D, make all the wrong choices, and end the movie in 15 minutes. Imagine... That's that I think if it was like a movie theater where they gave you like a little interactive remote or something, maybe, but, but still, that's not something that, that any theater is just going to whip out and try. And and the fact is, if they say, oh, you could use your mobile phones, that's going to be incredibly distracting too. The, The entire concept is just fucking horse shit. I'm sorry, but get this. It's not as bad in terms of sequel news as another Terminator as Paramount Pictures is looking to acquire the rights of the next Terminator film and Arnold Schwarzenegger has confirmed that he will be reprising his role as the quintessential Terminator machine. Now, Terminator Salvation, it grossed $371 million worldwide, $125 million in the U.S., I actually like Terminator Salvation. It wasn't total horse shit, and I think it was taking the mythology 
in an interesting direction. There were there were certain aspects I didn't like. I mean, I felt Sam Worthington was complete garbage in that movie, and you know, uh, Christian Bale definitely worked on his on his Batman movie, um, his Batman movie voice with that. But it, it, look, here's the here's the thing about the Terminator genre as a whole. You did Rise of the Machines, which was complete dog shit. Seriously, it was complete dog shit. Then you redeem it with Salvation, which was passable at best. But I'm sorry, nothing, nothing will ever surpass Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Unless they did RoboCop versus Terminator. Thank you, Strider. I was about to say that. RoboCop versus Terminator was an an amazing comic book from Dark Horse. It was an uh, an awesome, bloody, and ultra-violent game on the Sega Genesis. And, um... Seriously, you want to do another Terminator? And it's true, Arnold Schwarzenegger is is 75 years old, 76, 76. And he wants to try and reprise this role. It's going to look stupid. If anything, I liked what they did in Salvation where they scanned Arnold's face and they put his face on that on that um new Terminator body. It, it looked it looked believable. It looked decent enough where where it would work. But to to want to invest in doing a brand new Terminator and above all else, throw Arnold in there, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry, but Judgment Day is pretty much the gold standard of Terminator films. It is. The the thing with Terminator is that when you want to take it into a whole other direction and not use any of the original people involved with the original films, it just takes it just takes a step into fucking shitsville. Like Salvation, for all its flaws, took the, the story in another direction where you can do something interesting with it. If anything, I like the Terminator TV series, which was surprisingly solid that they had on Fox. And I actually thought that that series would be the better way to, to tell more Terminator stories versus, oh, let's just go with Arnold. You can't just sell a film based on one guy. Hello. I am here to protect you, John Connor. Don't mind my wrinkled neck and saggy pecs. I am here to save you. No. Get out of here. Stupid. You want to do something crazy? Make it that you continue Terminator Salvation and John Connor goes back in time, except it's not John Connor and it's a Terminator. Like, do something like that. Do something different. Or, I liked what, what Strider said, better yet, make the new Terminator a child. I don't think that 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 people are going to be too cool with you shooting a child with a rocket launcher. I'm just saying. It would be funny, but um, I, li- I like what um, one, of the, one of the viewers in the chat said, John Connor is a Terminator since birth. Holy shit. It, it, I, th- I think that would blow people's minds if they did that. Like, like John Connor was never really conceived as Sarah Connor's son. Sarah Connor was drugged and the child that she gave birth to was the an advanced Terminator model that was able to the exoskeleton was able to expand as the child got older, maybe utilizing the whole liquid metal thing. It would be crazy that it was all John Connor the entire time and he was Skynet. Like give us something insanely different than you know Arnold Schwarzenegger walking around come with me if you want to live. Like yeah, but it is happening, folks. Terminator Five, 
with Arnie at the helm. Just a quick time check for those of you listening on the Block Talk Radio feed. It is 1.55 Eastern Standard Time. The Block Talk Radio feed will cease broadcasting at 2 a.m. And you'll be able to still listen live via our Mixler feed, which is in the Listen tab on MyTakeRadio.com or the live feed on GFQ, GFQLive.tv. So here's here's a, a crazy thing. We were talking about Splinter Cell and how Ubisoft is doing that, but that's not the only film that Ubisoft is working on. It seems that they want to do another film, uh, a couple of films actually, one based on Watch Dogs, another one based on Rabbids, and they want to try their hand at another Far Cry movie. Now, of course, Assassin's Creed is already being fast-tracked, Splinter Cell we know is coming, and Ghost Recon is in the docket as well. Now, Far Cry, of course, and Rabbids are franchises we already know, but if, you were, if you've watched anything on Netflix, you'll know that Far Cry was originally adapted into film by Uwe Boll. If you want to see a steaming, festering pile of shit that's, that's just as shitty as House of the Dead, if not worse, look up Far Cry directed by Uwe Boll on Netflix. Terrible. So, Ubisoft realizing the error of their ways wants to try their hand again at another Far Cry film, and... I'd be interested to see how they fare and what they do, but the biggest film on my radar that they're working on is Assassin's Creed. That's what I want to see, especially with uh, Michael Fassbender involved, and I'm curious to see how they're going to adapt it and where they're going to go. I mean, are you going to go uh, Altair, or are you going to go Etsy Auditore, or uh, you know, we're going to get a mixture of both, maybe somebody new? I, I'm definitely curious, especially because I'm a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed franchise so we'll see how that translates to film last but not least like i mentioned earlier in the segment uh david goyer did an interview with bleeding cool with regards to how the man of steel universe can fit within justice league and the concept of a shared dc universe he said it is our intention that in the success of this film that there would be zero issue in utilizing a shared universe dynamic in our world, the Man of Steel world, Zack has gone on record saying that we're implying that there are other superheroes. But I don't know that they've come forward yet. The idea is that Superman is the first one, which they've borrowed from the Justice League books. There might be people helping people but not in costumes, and that Superman comes forward and announces himself to the world. And him announcing himself, he also changes things. You know... It's it's funny the way they want to do it because this was something similar that they did in the New 52 where, you know, Superman kind of started going out there and other heroes started revealing themselves and thus the Justice League was formed. I think, honestly, that's, that's a solid concept to go with and there's there's a lot of Easter eggs in the Man of Steel. I know I know one already that, that involves Batman and you got 90 seconds. There goes the English lady saying that we have 90 seconds. And I'm sure she's going to let me know when we have 10 seconds as well. If you're listening via the Blog Talk Radio feed, make sure to uh, go to the Listen tab on MyTakeRadio.com. Anyway, as I was saying, the the using Superman as the, as the launch pad to create a Justice League film, I think it's a, it's a great concept. It's a solid idea. My only concern is that with the work that you've already done with the 60 dark... 60 seconds. We got it. Thanks. 60 seconds. Anyway, um, with, the, with the blueprint that was established already with the Dark Knight and, and those Batman films, 
it, it you know I know that they're they'd love to continue with that with that Batman in the Justice League, but we already know that Christian Bale isn't doing it. And if he were to do it, it would require a shitload of money, and they'd have to do it sooner rather than later because he's not getting any younger. Now I will say this: if Superman is your launch pad and you want to go into you know the whole Batman and Wonder Woman and bring all that together to do the Justice League, I I have to say that you have to utilize the same dynamic for Batman that has already been established. You can't do, you know, you can't go from dark Batman to... Ten seconds. All right. You can't go from, from dark Batman to, uh, you, you know, um, Tim Burton Batman. You can't. You have to use that similar dynamic. I mean, what they've done with Superman and the Man of Steel and how they've utilized that is is exactly what I'm saying. You You took elements that made the Dark Knight a solid film and you applied those elements to Superman. And from what I've been hearing, it's been incredibly successful. I mean, there, there are a dozen trailers on the web. And honestly, if you watch all the trailers, you probably have watched at least half of the movie. And I will say that what they did with, with, you know, with Superman now is that they've made him more than just the, the big blue boy scout. They've added other dynamics and, and other aspects of his character and his persona, which are going to help, make people give a damn about Superman. One of one of the biggest gripes from a, from a lot of people that read comics who I'm friends with that they always say is Superman's rogues gallery is shit and Superman just isn't he's a boring character outside of the fights that he has with his villains. And it's very interesting because there's there's a dynamic in the sense that there's a Clark Kent dynamic which is severely underutilized and I think in the Man of Steel it's a little heavy-handed to some people, but I think that telling more about him as Clark Kent pretty much can shape the fabric of how he is a Superman. Not only that, but how he will be Clark Kent going, you know, how he will react as Clark Kent going forward. Because that's the thing that is, is the worst part of a lot of Superman films. I mean, Christopher Reeve's version of Superman, there was an ample amount of Clark Kent uh, goofiness, but there was also a fairly solid amount of Superman. And I think that the best storytelling with the Christopher Reeve Superman was when in Superman two, when he gave up his powers and he was just trying to be normal and he got beat up by the guy in the diner. I, I really liked that because it was, it really showed that even though he wanted to be human so badly, he still, he still needed to be Superman. He needed both sides to feel balanced. And and I really like that in the second film. And I think that's one of the things that will help the Superman movies going forward. You got to kind of play both sides. Like obviously him flying around and whooping general Zod's ass is pretty, pretty cool. And Lex Luthor and, and you know, people want to see dark side and doomsday. And those, I mean, I shared some of those characters in the Superman article I wrote earlier this week, but the fact remains that if you want to use man of steel as your jump off point, for the other DC films, you got to take into consideration a lot of the basic um, foundations that were laid out by the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, those films, they not only grounded themselves in reality, but they used incredibly deep storytelling. And that's what you got to do. Honestly, Scott Snyder, um, I mean, Scott Snyder, Zack Snyder, Scott Snyder does the the comics. Um, Zack Snyder... Uh, Nolan, those guys, you need to do with with them like Kevin Feige and those guys have done with Marvel. 
which is that you create a brain trust of, of, of Hollywood talent that knows how to treat your characters right. And the reason I say that is because when you look at the Avengers and you see Joss Whedon's inv- uh, involvement and the way that they try to make every film interlocked and and fall under that shared universe in a fluid way, that's kind of what's been lacking with DC and how they're going to do things. Like if you look at uh, Captain America, it ties together nicely with the Avengers. Same thing with Thor, same thing with Iron Man, excluding, of course, Iron Man 3. But that's what I'm saying. Like you need that, that, that groundwork. You need that groundwork to create all these other films and, and, and make people feel excited about them because honestly if if they had to do films leading up to the justice league i'd like to see a decent wonder woman movie and i'm not talking about like some lame old bullshit but her fighting with sword and shield in hand and it being gritty and violent like not just oh look you know it's a, it's a chick with red white and blue underwear you know red white and blue outfit and and stars on her underwear there's more to it than that if you've read wonder woman in the new 52 and some of the stuff right before the new 52, her character was very well written, very badass. And, you know, the Wonder Woman short film I shared a while back, who, whose director I interviewed actually, is is exactly what I would expect in a Wonder Woman film. Unfortunately, they're, they're, the antiquated thinking is, oh, look, you know, hot chick with stars on her drawers. There's more to it than that. But like I said, I'm pumped. I'm looking forward to the Man of Steel. And I'm hoping to see an expanded Justice League and DC Universe on the big screen. Can they pull it off and be successful? We shall see. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the show for this week, actually. Uh, We actually got through the show. We actually went eh, about five minutes into OT for this week, uh, which is ever since we went over to GFQ, I try to keep the shows at exactly three hours, but, you know, shit gets a little crazy. We go over a little bit, but I'm sure Suncast doesn't mind. Uh, anyway, let's let's take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 188 for Thursday, June 13th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that. When you leave that message last but not least, of course, you can find us on Twitter at my take radio, become a fan on Facebook, add us to your circle on Google plus. And of course you can find us on Pinterest as well. And also on vine and Instagram. So just look for rich MTR on Instagram and vine. And also uh, obviously look for my take radio on Twitter and Google plus as well. Last but not least, if you want the best, MTR experience, you can pick up the MyTake Radio app, available for $1.99 for your Android devices in the Amazon Android Marketplace and in iOS uh, for iOS devices on iTunes. Right now, the latest bit of exclusive content is our interview with the crew from Punching the Walls of Reality. They are our newest guests for MyTake Radio behind the mic. That interview should be live within a couple of hours, and you'll be able to access that first if you have the apps for your Android or iOS devices. Of course, you can always get My Take Radio via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and the Zune Marketplace. And of course, you can listen to reruns on GFQ or on MyTakeRadio.com. I will ask that if you are getting the shows off of iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. 
It gives us more exposure, introduces us to new audiences, and last but not least, gets us into that crucial and ever-important top 100 slot. All right. On behalf of myself, Quark, Slick, Jay Santi, who is running the fan page for Impact and the rest of the MTR family, I bid you guys good evening. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. I think we're going to go out with Born of Ashes from the Heroes and Villains soundtrack available in ocremix.org.